everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is episode 83, uh, and today I'm recording with uh, John from uh, the Two Dummies on a Microphone Podcast and Other Fame. Uh, <laughs> it's got another podcast called Idiot Friends that uh, we talked about a little bit. Um, this one was, was me and him just kind of getting together and, and, I mean, goofing around talking um we got to some leadership stuff but if if this is this is one where we kind of um just got together and caught up and it can it was meandering and we got distracted a few times uh so just fair warning that uh we're kind of all over the place but there's definitely there's some good stuff in there but if if uh you're in for the more concise uh focused type podcast this might not be the one for you um but it was a lot of fun and uh, i always enjoy talking to him so i hope you guys enjoy this check it out yeah man so what's up you're the first live podcast i've ever done in my life this is ever. the second time i've done an actual podcast with a person in the same room I don't know, it's weird <laughs> isn't it it is it's like because it's not i don't have a problem with it I, but like i don't know i get used to the digital sh- stuff and like you do, yeah. And then, but I mean, it's always nice to sit down because then you yeah. can read body language and yeah. the banter isn't that delay that you have on the internet. Yeah, that's what's weird. I've noticed that because that one I just uh, published with the EMN two, there was a weird connection delay that because sometimes people be like, well, you don't let people talk and you like talk <laughs> over them, and I'm like, sometimes <laughs> the internet delays their their audio by three seconds. So then when I publish it, it sounds like I'm running people over. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I, not that I don't do that ever because I get excited sometimes, but yeah, like it, it was, I, I think it happened a few times with him and I was just like, like it is what it is. And I think I left it in the beginning of the episode on purpose where I'm like, hopefully this connection thing doesn't kill us. Cause <laughs> no, like, I think it was like right at the beginning, right after good. the delay. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, dope man. I'm pumped cause I also don't like there aren't a lot of people that live here locally that even know that I do this either. Like I don't tell people and I don't know why outside of like, I was always afraid that like it would turn into some weird thing at work or something where they're yeah, like, for you, I could see that cause you're more leadership development and the two podcasts that I have are more conspiracy based. So I have stickers, I hand stickers out. Oh, I got really? them on my coffee cup and people are like, Oh, you have a podcast? I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah, like, I wish, check it out. dude. What's the, you have two now? I, I yeah. know about two dummies, but I don't yeah, know about so I got one. two dummies and a microphone podcast and the yeah. idiot friends, idiot uh, friends. And okay. that's, um, I'm gonna have to get links for me to put that's the... way out there like it's no way <laughs> shape or form gonna teach you well i mean it might teach you something because we go off on um like we just did one called hyper objects and it's things that your mind can't wrap its head around yeah. and it's an actual thing uh so that was fun to talk about <laughs> i'll have to check that out yeah. that's funny yeah because I, I don't know you're doing two of them like where do you have how do you have time to do two I podcasts i don't i stay up late <laughs> i stay up real late that's like my funny. wife the other day she wanted to paint the garage, paint the dining room. Yeah. It was like eight o'clock at night. She's like, let's go to Lowe's and get paint. I'm like, the kids are going to bed right now. Yeah. <laughs> so like I'm going to Lowe's to get paint so that I can paint. And then, yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Sleep, that's when, funny. sleep when you're dead. You know, it's the only time we really have to spend together. Because Don't do that. dude. That's how you get cancer. Like that's what like, no, the, that's like our bonding time too. Like yeah. I, I wake up and I'm at work at six 30 yeah. and then I get home. I pick the kids up. And then she'll either go to work or something. The kids are home. So it's yeah. like the only time that we have to like bond together. That's true. So that's, like, that's so bananas. Like after like, the kids go to sleep, it's our time to get shit done. 
Yeah, and that's like uh, I. My wife worked during the day. She's not working right now, but she worked during the day when she was uh, at her last job. And um, so we would be home together most of the time. And we don't have kids either, so I don't have that problem. But like, I know a lot of people. Yeah, I know a lot of people that like I've heard that from where it's like like Bob's told me that where it's like, yeah, the only time we have is like the, there's this two hour window at the very end of the night when the small children are in bed yes. where we get to like spend time together. And I'm like. Sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, I mean, in theory, like yes, it is terrible. But I yeah. mean, at the same time, I wouldn't change it for the world. Like I love my kids to death. Yeah, um, they put up with so much for me from the last deployment that I just went on. Like they were the rock for my wife, and my wife was the rock yeah. for them. But like, I need to spend time with my wife, dude. No, like, I'm. <laughs> oh, that's what I mean. I mean, like, I wish I, I would want to spend more time, or oh, yeah, like 100%. not be. Yeah, like it just sounds brutal. I was watching some news thing yesterday. Uh, I watched like news channels on youtube and they're talking about like how a ton of people that like quit their jobs aren't going back to work and they're theorizing that like it's because they like are going back to single income models be yeah. like before all like i don't know before 20 years ago i don't know yeah um because they're just like this is awesome like i get to be at home with the kids 100 doing the things and like spend more time with family yeah. and whatever and they just adjust their like lifestyle to fit that model. And I was like, that makes way more sense to me because like she was working before we, my wife was working before we started dating because she was like, yeah, I got to do like have my I own have life and, yeah. I, yeah, and I want to, <laughs> I want to not live with my parents and stuff like that. And, um, and then I was in the military. So like it, we were dual income just because we were like when yeah. we got together and then, but now like we're in this place where, um, and she's not like not going to work. She's just not working right now. She's we're talking about. Uh, so when I retire, we're going to move to Texas and she's talking about starting a coffee stand kind of thing. Like you're going to say family for a second. Oh, no, no, <laughs> that's we talk about that sometimes. But I don't I don't know. I don't know if we're going to actually have kids or not. It's up in the air. Like mm. we're on the fence still because yeah. um, we're 10 years apart. So like she's in a way different place than I am yeah. as far I'm like almost indifferent at this point. Like I, I was really like on the train when I was like 30, 31, 32. <laughs> and then it just started to like wane a little bit. Cause yeah. like now I'm older and like, I like how like, you say older, but you're what? 40. I'm 38, 38. Yeah. I right. feel like I'm 70. You feel like you're 70, <laughs> but 38, there's people that are pumping kids out now sure, that are 50. Sure. And 38 is like, yeah, we were standing watch and doing all this stuff. Didn't age in dog years like I did because submarines. Yeah. You know, just rebreathing air for six months at a time. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, that's what feels different, too, is like, I feel like I've lived 10 lifetimes in the last time. So it's just like one of those, I don't know if I could do it, man. Like, I want to give myself like a year or two of being retired and like see if the decompression happens in a way that I'm like, oh, yeah, I would 100% do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't I feel like I can handle it or something. Don't jump back into another stress ball. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. I'll explode. I'll be one of those dudes that drops dead five minutes after he retires. Um, so like we mentioned before we started about chief season stuff. I'm curious, like, because like your experience is going to, parallel a lot of my prior experiences probably i could be wrong but probably because we're in the same area now because yeah of course we are because we're recording a podcast in the same room but <laughs> um i'm curious like i'm, I'm curious about your experience first we talked a little bit before we clicked record but like 
what like I don't know, man. I'm examining this a lot lately, and I was gonna I'm gonna do a spin the yarn talking about it too. I think, but like about the value of mostly like I'm focused a lot more on final night, but it really is the season. Um, because final night is what I was the most involved with this year because this year was a weird year for me because I was gone for. I was gone for like two weeks. It was really like almost three weeks of the season because um, I travel for work and then I went home for my brother's wedding. and So I knew I wasn't going to be super involved. So most of what I, I went to some meetings before and then when we got back, it was like everybody was like fully gearing up for final night and then we did final night and yeah. then it was it. So it was like I was only really involved with final night. Um, fun story. I have a stick in my truck. Do you guys do that stick thing where they put like talk about how you're the weakest link or whatever? We Did didn't do, do it. We didn't do a stick. Okay. Uh, well, but we, all, we inserted a rock. Okay. So I have it was the weakest link. I have a stick in my truck because the select told me uh, he goes he came up. You he, were they, never there, Master yeah, Chief. Yeah, he's ba- well. He but he said this is what it 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 cut deep because it was <laughs> it was a really good point it was like i because I, I've, I've talked to all these guys as first classes like yeah. i do i do what i do on the podcast in real life with people that i know yeah and um he said i think you're the weakest link because you every i enjoy talking to you and every time i talk to you you add a lot of value to like my life and career or whatever and i feel like you could have added a ton of value to our process and you hmm. weren't here huh. and i was like damn i'm like he got me good because i i i don't like regret anything because i purposely like i i withdrew on purpose this year was this your last season yes okay well theoretically theoretically yeah it depends because everything's been moved around all weird yeah so if they go back to a traditional model uh this coming year then i'll catch another one because i'm retiring october of 22 okay but if they do it like they did it this year, then I'll, yeah, I'll just miss it. I think, I mean, results might come out and as I'm like, I'm at the door and I haven't decided if I'm taking any terminal leave and stuff like that. So I might be Why gone because bro. Okay. Let me explain. You say that. <laughs> let me explain my schedule right now. So, uh, I, so I, I took five, off, five months effectively off for the cancer treatment stuff. Then I came back and they were doing this COVID mitigation crap yeah. to get people out of the building to like have just less people in the building. So our building's really small and everybody's kind of on top of each other. So they were, did like a blue and gold, like this day you're in the next yeah. day the other people are in. So I was only in like twice a week. I know it gets better. I'm, it shaking, gets better. I'm shaking my head. It gets better. <laughs> it gets better. So I was only in like two days a week. And the weird thing about my job is I travel to go like for inspections. I'm, I'm on an inspection team. So yeah. if I'm not going out on a submarine and doing an inspection where we got, we travel and because of COVID we have to like ROM in a hotel room for a week. And then we go out on a boat for two and a half days, do the inspection yeah. and then we fly home and ROM again. Uh, we were doing that and now it's like because everybody's vaccinated and everybody's whatever I don't know they've just relaxed some of it it's like we go out now and it's like four days in a hotel we do COVID tests on each end and then you just do the inspection and go home there's no no roaming or anything but um, so I I do that and but when I'm if I don't if I'm not doing that I don't really have a job like Hmm. I'm my whole job is that yeah so it's not like nothing ever happens but like when I was sitting in a cubicle it was like dude I was doing homework or like uh, research for retirement or collateral duty things or like (laughs) they're trying to get me to be a staff SEL and that would have effectively been my primary duty but because I travel a lot for work it kind of didn't make sense so it's it's stuff like that. I would have I was like making up stuff to do because I had nothing to do with my hands. All right, I'll buy that. So 
it turned into so it went from not at work for five months to the two days a week thing and then they decided they moved some detachment from somewhere else and so they had to create a skiff near where our offices mm-hmm. were which i say offices it's like a bunch of cubicles in a basement so uh they're like hey you you guys need to like telework because we're going to put them in your office space and then we're going to like be doing construction in this office yeah. space so at first i was super upset not because i had to telework because that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't really think about when I got mad. I got mad because of the way that the they delivered the, hey, you're getting voted off the island by a, some first class building manager telling my department head. Nice. And they didn't even have the department head. My department head wasn't even part of the conversation where they were like, yeah, you're not going to have a workspace anymore. Have fun. Bye. So I was super, super pissed. And uh, but then I like once I did a few weeks of this teleworking thing, I was like, oh, this is all right. Like because yeah. The the punchline is, if I'm at home and I don't have a job, really, <laughs> what am I doing? So I'm it's I'm making up for shore duties past where yeah. I basically was on sea duty without going to sea, and uh, I'm not I like I don't go to work, dude. Like I go in on Thursdays for a chiefs meeting, and then if something else comes up, I go in. And then I, when we have inspections, like I do have a bunch of inspections coming up, but like if for, if I have a long stretch without inspection, I just don't. I mean, I go in. That's I'm doing life. I'm doing a lot of medical stuff. Like I was at the ho- army the army hospital all day yesterday doing medical stuff, and I have my mental health appointments on it. But like that's what I'm doing. I'm like yeah. doing retirement things, medical appointments. Yeah, it's amazing. I was talking to my therapist about like the concept of like how when people retire they drop dead because they've been redlining for 20 years and then all of a sudden they don't have a purpose and i was like one i feel like i have a purpose because of the podcast so like i get to transition to like a new mission and i've already found it and it's so i'm lucky in that regard but also i feel like the last almost two years i've been like decelerating you know what i mean like where i've (laughs) Doing the opposite. Yeah, doing the opposite of everyone else where it's like I'm on shore duty, which is nice, but I'm like I got that really long break, but I was still stressed out because I was focused on the cancer recovery stuff. But then when I got back, it was just like a couple like we were doing like half days twice a week and then inspections still weren't happening because of covid and then they started spinning them back up. So then I started like get eased back into that. But it's just like doing inspection for a while and then. That's when we were doing like two weeks in a hotel room. It was insane. So I'm like sitting in a hotel room just doing nothing. And like (laughs) I'd be on my computer. That's how the whole D gets apparel thing. I did that all during those ROMs. That's crazy. Like I taught myself how to use Illustrator and then I taught myself how to design. I'm designing all the graphics and doing all the things. Did the research, set it up, did the LLC, all that crap. Um, And so, yeah, man, I'm like, I feel like I'm, I'm decelerating and I have time to like transition at the same time over the last you know however long and it doesn't look like my schedule is going to change much over the last year that i'm in so i'm like and it's like if i had to go sit in a cubicle because they decided we were like going back to work after this construction you'd be fine with that too i'm like i i wouldn't be fine with it but (laughs) i could do it and it wouldn't be a big deal because i don't really have a job i mean i'd go in for a couple hours and then just leave because at this point it's like who's gonna tell me no what are you gonna do fire me like master chief come on But I'm at this place where it's like I'm I'm on my way out the door. Like I don't really have a job. I don't, you know, unless I'm doing inspections. Um, so yeah, man, it's pretty chill. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't even remember why I started talking about that, but uh, I think I was giving you a hard time about work or yeah. Oh, that's what it was. What? Not taking your terminal leave. Oh yeah, so yeah. that's why I was like, why would I take terminal leave when I barely show up to work <laughs> to begin with? Because unless we decide we want to leave the area, yeah, uh, before. Because if I if I decide we that hey like let's leave the area at the beginning of September, then I'll take a month of terminal kind of yeah. thing. But if I don't, it's like I'll just sell it back and pocket the money. Not that I think I'll need it, but hey, whatever. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. Back to season stuff. Yeah. So like. <laughs> final night slash like the season itself i'm i'm like i'm becoming disillusioned with it not because i don't think it could be valuable which i've talked a ton about on the podcast but like i think i got i've probably defended it more than i would have if i hadn't been the guy running it all the time making sure that there was value coming out of it for the selects and that people weren't doing things like like weren't delivering the the events in a misguided way and stuff like that but now i'm i'm getting to this place where i'm kind of scratching my head going like and i think because there is so much potential value from it i think it just needs a correction of like like we were talking about before we recorded like a like a facilitator's guide that paints some hard boundaries that you have to play with and and assigns the training objectives. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree to that too. But then at the same time, you put constraints on it because, like, on a surface ship, you you have limited resources. Same like when you do season on a submarine. Like, so you would fall to those constraints of what you had available. And I think that's where the the ingenuity and the the innovativeness comes from for some of these things. And whether or not those chiefs that are that are doing the season can see that vision because i know when i ran final night on my last ship yeah. like we were underway there were 12 foot seas like yeah. we had like yeah. safety was paramount for everybody right. because it was it was crazy but i feel that season was a lot more beneficial and they understood the yeah how to be humble why you're doing things and the the mental tiredness was there yeah for that but i mean at the same time the season that we just went through um like it started early yes but then we ate breakfast for like an hour Mm -hmm. and i was like when are we starting like yeah let's go we gotta let's speed these things up because there's no just sitting around hanging out and we got an hour for lunch, an hour for dinner. I was like, "Good night, man." Yeah, this the the like, beginning of ours. It was like they were the happiest selects I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know that that's all bad, but it was this really familiar feeling, like we were yeah. all there to hang out together. And I'm yeah. like, "This is a training event where there's like a little suspension of reality that happens to get them to be in the correct mindset to to do the things that they need to do." And I think to like make the mental shift they need to make once you get to the acceptance piece. And I didn't feel that at all this year. It was really strange. And then the other thing is I think I need to clarify what I mean by like the, the instructor guide thing or the, it would be like a facilitator's guide. It's like, I don't want to say like, like give you every detail of every event that like, I would want to say like, these are the training objectives you need to accomplish. Like you need to do something that addresses the concept of toughness and trust and teamwork and all that stuff. Yeah. But you adapt that like you create an event that fits like you're on a destroyer in seven foot seas and you everybody's got to stand watch because we're like underway on a warship on deployment. So you you can factor in all the variables. Plus, I think that warfare community uh, is 
is a big thing that'll play into it for heritage for um, the type of events that they'll do. Like the expeditionary commands are going to do a lot of wild stuff that oh, we yeah. can't do because we're not on dry land. Because yeah. you know what I mean, like it's going to be a lot different. And you're going to talk a lot about we. I talked about this with somebody about like how when you would do the heritage piece, like you're not going to talk about a submarine medal of honor winner on a destroyer. Like that no. doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. You talk about somebody that did something cool on a destroyer. The namesake of the yeah of the, destroyer. Of the ship. That yeah. yeah right. Um. So I would I would be bringing like if I came and hung out on a destroyer on deployment for a final night, I'd be talking about like William Pinckney and Leonard Harmon and yeah. like guy, guys who are, have destroyers named after them. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, hey, they are all these famous cooks. I'm like, this is perfect. This is exactly <laughs> what I'm going to talk about, because a lot of people don't know that those are cooks like they don't even know, unless they're on the ship. Probably. Yeah. And even that, I bet you 30 percent of the crew members don't even know what the namesake of the ship, like why it's named after that person. It's like that's I always think it's funny. And I'll give all the people that are listening a silver spoon and you can tell tell them that you got it from me, but like find out who <laughs> the first chief was and I bet you it's a cook. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so and I always I always qualify that line when I when I ask uh selectees that I I say it I form the question as the sentence that's written in that it's uh Chief Warrant Officer Lester that wrote the history of the chief article that's on like uh history and heritage command's website. Where it says the first mention of the term chief yeah. in relation to rate or rank, because he technically wasn't a chief, because chiefs weren't established until yeah. way later. So, um, but yeah, I give him the Jacob Wasby question every year, and mm-hmm. it's just like, there you go, kids. There's your silver spoon. <laughs> um, but it's I ask him that question every year, but I phrase it that way because I'm I've learned over my career <laughs> that. Um, people will be quick to be like, actually, you know, that wasn't the first chief, you dumb cook. And it's like, so I phrase it that way on purpose because I don't want to take credit for something that's technically not real, even, yeah. even though it is. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I want to be factually accurate, but, uh, that was me drinking water. You're welcome. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's like, that's a, that you'll, you'll formulate it based on like, who you are, where you are and what you're doing and like yeah. what the demands of your mission are and mm-hmm. your community are and like what the priorities will, would be as dictated by like that warfare community and that command and whatever. Cause like, yeah, I think like the people that went through it in Iraq, like during Iraqi freedom or like in Afghanistan during enduring freedom, it's like, you gotta think about the crazy things that they probably oh, yeah. had to do to make that happen. And I know a guy that, um, he was a master gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps that I met when I was on a, I was stationed on an army base. So I was running the A school. And uh, so I got to meet a ton of different like all of the food service schools for all of the services are in, on the same base in the same building. Nice. So, yeah, I got to learn all the Marines, the Air, the air Force is the, the Air Force is kind of weird because they're not really cooks. They're like they call them services, I think, where it's like they do like the funeral stuff, uh, like fitness and nutrition and that's an actual uh, job. Yeah. And hmm. kind of like cooking stuff. Cause I think all of their, uh, they in the army and air force. I know in the army, I think in the air force, they call them defects. It's like the dining facility. Yeah. Um, the air force. And I think a lot of the army bases, the defect is like civilian contractors. So yeah. it's not, they don't really have that type of job. The cooks in the army are doing like field kitchens and stuff. Yeah. Like, so they do cook, but it's like, they're not, I think largely the defects are all civilian contractors. So it's like they just have different needs for their schools and stuff. But like the army guys are learning how to cook for real. The air force kind of does like this, like I think I always saw them making sandwiches and stuff. So like, <laughs> I think it's more like a pre-prepared thing and they don't really do it. 
I think they were probably doing it for like out on the flight line or something. No, you but can't like, cook an airplane. Yeah. Well, you can. I mean, there's cooks that cook on like Air Force One, but there's not a lot of airplanes where you're doing. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. There's not a lot of airplanes where you're doing much cooking. Um, but yeah, like they they were all in the same building. So this master guns, he would hang out with us during the chief season stuff. And everybody's like, what is this dude doing here? I'm like, this dude's been an accepted chief longer than I have. So calm down. Like, <laughs> he went through the season in like 2005 in Iraq or something as a gunnery Good, sergeant. Nice. Like it was forever ago. And uh, it was fun because he loved it. He loved hanging out with us, loved yeah. doing stuff with us. We got to do this event every year where. Um, over at the Marine Corps detachment, they had a bunch of prior uh, drill instructors, and then they had this big course. It was like, like kind of like an obstacle course looking mm-hmm. thing. That's just like a PT field behind their detachment where they had pull up bars and this log you could pick up and run around with, and these ammo boxes for like the combat fitness tests that they yeah. do. And so we bust all the selects over there, <laughs> and the the gunnies are standing out, the prior DIs are standing out there waiting for them. And it was like going to boot camp. As soon as the That's bus rolled funny. up, the door opened, they were getting screamed at. That's and so funny. like. My friend, uh, she's a senior chief now. She's on a she's on a destroyer. I'll tell you who it is after, but she's on a destroyer. She's probably about to be a master chief. She should have been a master chief last year, but that's another story for another time. Um, or the year the year I made it, she should have been. Yeah. Which is funny because I was her sponsor. But anyway, um, but she's uh, she was one of them, and like w- when we put her through that event, like the whole time, this female uh, drill instructor, she's this little tiny Hispanic woman screaming bloody murder just like and it was funny because it was almost hard to hear what she was saying because she was talking really fast too but then uh she would like make her say aye aye gunnery sergeant over and over again so like the so for the rest of like forever um and like she we would give her a hard time she'd be doing something and be like aye aye gunnery sergeant aye aye gunnery sergeant aye aye gunnery sergeant but like those they were amazing and like the gunnies that did it had, they hadn't gone through and so they were just like super grateful for like us letting them be a part of it and yeah. like and we were like like gushing for them like doing it it was such a sick event like because we had this log then we were running and carrying it and like doing all the stuff and uh, they did like a fireman carrying, like a dragging somebody, like they were injured, and it, dude, it was the coolest event that we did every year. Um, and those dudes were all awesome. But and then that uh, I forget her name, but God, she was good. She was, <laughs> she was so, she was so awesome because she was like this like tiny human that was just like she was looking up at everybody, just, just screaming loud. up in their face. Looked like one of those YouTube videos about boot camp, but yeah, That's funny. yeah, it was sick. I feel like I totally stole your point and distracted us from what you're, where, where, where did we, how did I get on this? Um, you got to jingle car keys at me once in a while or something. Cause I'm something. A, I'm a small child. I, oh, I remember it was, <laughs> it was, we were talking about how you were talking specifically about how the stuff happened on a destroyer and how you have to adapt oh, to that. Yeah. And then I was yeah. talking about people in Iraq and how they had to, yes. in Afghanistan, how they would have had to adapt. Yes. And then I brought up the gunny that yes. went through, he 100%. went through the season in Iraq. Yes, so that yeah, is yeah. funny. That's how we got there. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the worst reviewed podcast ever, but it's fun. So I don't at least care. you get reviews. Yeah. I uh, mean, sometimes. That's but fun. yeah, so like the being on the ship and having to overcome everything that you have to overcome and trying to get them to understand the point of it yeah. is is the hardest thing. And having a facilitator's guide may or may not help. Uh, it may give people more of a direction so that they can tailor their events specifically for that. Um, but that's like this year. And I was 
like there was so much downtime and that's one of the things we did in the hot wash like there i felt like there should have been more up tempo more use your brain more Mm -hmm. teamwork type aspects in there and there were those aspects of it and i think that the selects that we had got the bigger picture but it took a long time for them to to come to that conclusion yeah and and the reason i get hard up on the the facilitator's guide thing it's just i just it doesn't have to be that i just want a mechanism where somebody like the mick pond and the fleets and whatever mick pond's leadership mess whatever they somebody draws like hard and fast lines saying like this is like this thou shalt do the following during the season and i like i think they feel like they already did that and maybe other people do too with like he sends out his little guidance every year and like with teaching the creed and laying the keel, I think that they feel like they've kind of provided that guidance already. Yeah. But it feels like a suggestion to me. And it's like, and I think that's how most people interpret it is it's like, like, yeah, this is kind of how it should feel. And these are some of the things like there are, there are some mentions of things that you can and can't do and stuff like that. But you, what I've experienced is a wildly varying model every time I go somewhere new and experience. Yeah, it's going to be up to the CMC and the mess that's there. Like, if you have a mess Which, that's not involved and you're just, like, pulling right. teeth to try and get them to do anything, then how are your events going to go if, if they're not going to want to do right. anything? Which I, I – that part of it, I feel like, is needed, right? Because we talked about already, like, the each community and – platform and whatever and if you're on deployment and there's all these variables that are going to dictate how the training objectives are going to have to happen or how they're going to have to be accomplished but there's also like this feeling that it's like there's almost not a standard that that where we're saying like these things have to happen so that at the end we have somebody that's prepared to be a chief post acceptance because that's the point and and they've they've progressed in the mcpon guidance to saying Look, like it's not a selection process. Thank God, I've been saying that for years. <laughs> like this is not no. a filter, right? It's a pump. Like you're you're here to that is your little HT reference. Yeah. There you go. It's the A ganger saying on submarines. <laughs> it's uh, nukes say it a lot about nuke school, but whatever. Um, is it's like you're not here to decide whether or not they're good enough to be accepted. That happened at the it's, Chiefs board. I did that already yeah. at, the, at the Chiefs board. It's already so, been it's already been established. Now you're teaching right. them to how. Yeah, it's a preparation thing. It's like we're here to prepare them so that to on that pinning separation. day, when they get pinned, they're ready to actually do the job and not suck at it. And I feel like where we miss the mark is, I mean, one, the whole reason I do this podcast is like we're not preparing them way before selection even happens in a meaningfully meaningful way to like build a foundation so that we're just it's like a finishing school (laughs) that's all you have time for in six weeks but i just feel like there's not a formal curriculum or some kind of mechanism that's that says at at the end of every cheese season every single select will have these like baseline things like we're going to have accomplished training on these things so that what however it was accomplished you and i could have a conversation about it and be like oh well this is how we did trust or this is how we did heritage or this is how we did whatever and i know it like it we loosely follow some kind of model but it's like but we kind of don't i don't know it's hard to and i think that comes from the six weeks too like you can't just base yeah like, yes final night is the the culmination or the capstone event for the entire season or whatever you want to call it but the six weeks that you have with them and that's one of the things that was so different for me 
right? So this is my first season on shore duty. Mm -hmm. And they had training Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. And that was just an hour with all the chiefs. Like Mm -hmm. when I went through and this, you know, it's every, every season is different. But when I went through season, like I was in there for breakfast, I was in there for lunch, I was Mm -hmm. in there for dinner. And there were things that went on that you had to humble yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can get acclimated to being around these people that are now your family. Yeah. Um, And so I, I, I think that that aspect of it might get lost on shore duty. Yeah, that's what's unique about it. I, I went through, we were underway on deployment for all but the last three days. And it's like, it, the, you can't escape the Chiefs. Like, so yeah, it's no. like you're, yeah, you're doing like training. The, but like, I could never get out of the mess. They would no. drag me in there. I was doing wall squats and getting screamed at. I'm like, glad you called the mess instead of the quarters. That was like the biggest thing. Like, my CMC I, was like, this is our chief quarters. I'm like, what's the chief quarters? I, uh, <laughs> I've adapted my my terminology to the fact that I do this podcast. Yeah. It was the chief's quarters until I got to, uh, my last shore duty and I was with a bunch of surf sailors and I Mm -hmm. realized all the differences between the, like the lingo. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, I just stupidly assumed that this was like a fleet wide thing that everybody called it like the chief's quarters. Um, and I, and then I kind of got some exposure too cause I, uh, on my last submarine before the job I'm doing now, um, our supply officer was female and she had been on a destroyer and then came to us and she t- took us to tour a, like a aircraft carrier and got to see a bunch of stuff and just yeah. seeing the, what they called things and how they, you know, how they did things and stuff like that. It was like, like they took me into the mess and it was like where they ate and hung out and yeah. Palace. Dude. Oh, yeah. Like, it was they insane. got a movie theater. Like, yep. you ever go to a, they got a movie theater. Yep. They got a lounge. They got yep. meeting rooms. They got all types of things. In it there. was insane. But I, I've adapted a lot of the terminology on the podcast because I have learned that people won't understand what I'm saying. Like, well, they, it won't mean the same thing to you well, as yeah. it does to me. But. but no, I found out somebody actually explained to me why. Mm-hmm. Like, the quarters, like, you don't go to a ship and be like, this is the mess. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you have the mess decks, but like, the qu- yeah. this is where the, like, you go to birthing. It's the quarters of the Chiefs. Um, I thought that was pretty well, cool. Well, yeah, but also, like, the it's a mess on ships because you eat there. Yeah. So it's like, that's why they're called, like, the all the mess, like, that's what we call in our career field. Like, if you look in the book, it's like, the warger mess, the so y'all chief's eat there mess. On, on submarines? No, not. I mean, there are guys that'll take a plate in there or something, but that's not where we normally eat. No, oh. we eat. A, there's a chief's table on the mess decks, oh. so we go and they do this thing that I think it's stupid. But five minutes before the meal, the galley watch captain will call the chiefs and invite them to the meal, so they come and get their food and sit down at the chiefs table, and then the crew comes in. At yeah, that's the way it was on the service ships. I mean, they didn't yeah. call us, but the yeah. food would be out, and by the time yeah. chow started, we would need more food. Yeah, because I mean, like we got to eat and go back to work, so yeah. I mean, we didn't have time to sit around just, and wait in lines. And I just come on, like I wait in line, like a like everyone. I mean, it. I would understand if um, there were like so we we would do oncoming watch standards had front of the line privileges because yeah. of course they did, yeah, because they had to go relieve the watch. So like I feel like if you're an oncoming watch stander, get in line with the oncoming watch standards, but. I don't I never understood because like we would have chiefs that weren't even like going on watch or like weren't on the watch bill that would come in five minutes early to eat. And it's because like, I want hot food, man. That's my biggest. thing. I, oh, OK, <laughs> um, all my food was always hot, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, your food. But not yeah, everybody's food. <laughs> <laughs> but also like, yeah, I, 
I don't know. I for me the what it communicates when the Chiefs get headline privileges for no reason. Like, well, yeah, I mean if you had to wait in line like with so if we had to go through the mess line with mm-hmm. what we would call like E six and below, and then we yeah. would have to wait like we couldn't cut, like we'd still be there, you know, cutting it up with everybody else. Yeah. And hanging out. Which is good. And but I mean if we went like if food was in the mess and we would just go to the mess and eat. Right, which yeah. on bigger ships, like, okay, whatever, I guess we're just eating. And I, like, I still don't like the idea of eating in separate areas, but when you scale it up to the level, level of an aircraft carrier, I kind of get it. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I, like, so for instance, on a submarine, like, if I was a cop, I w- there would be no chief's table. Like, sit down and eat with the crew. Like, go sit down and talk to the crew and get to know the people on the submarine, yeah. especially not in your division. Because, like, if you're going to be a deck plate leader and you're going to be a chief on the ship all the time, right, where you're, like, you're available to help anyone, and that's the thing that we kind of champion, it's, like, go get to know them. Like, go sit down and create opportunities to have conversations with people that you don't know. And also, it just creates this accessibility where they think they can come talk to you because you sit at chow and you talk to them like a normal person. And I don't – like, it's not like I don't expect – like you could do it where you're like at lunch, you guys are going to sit with a crew. So no. like, cause there's time, I understand the desire to sit with your peers. Like there's things that we need know. to talk about that aren't. Yeah. But that doesn't need to happen at lunch. Like so that's it, what kills me. It, it, like, it doesn't need to happen at lunch. But then again, at the same time, like if you're like what we were talking about, if you're out there on the deck plates, like when is your time to go and sit in the, sit in the quarters of the cheese right. and do that stuff? Like yeah. lunches are really only time I mean, or fair point that that I could kind of understand like the because at lunch on a submarine you can't do it anyway because you have no privacy like yeah. you're sitting like in the same that's space, our time so. to figure things out because nobody wants to wake up early if you're underway mm-hmm. and go and eat go and eat and talk first thing in the morning you're going to talk yeah. about work and so lunch is our really main time to like hash things out or yell at people that aren't pulling their weight or yeah. bring up issues and then dinner everybody's either hitting the rack because they got a mid-watch or you know whatever else is yeah. going on so not everybody's there I could see that like, cause we would do a cheese eating every week. I think it was following field day. Um, that's where a lot of that stuff would happen, but it was, it, what was annoying was it would kind of always run long because like we never did it. Like we didn't do it throughout the week that often. Yeah. See, that's you're why. On a tw- the 24 hour rotation and yeah. a lot of, uh, and it, it's probably similar on a destroyer where like a lot of the chiefs actually stand watch um, all of them except for one. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, cause like on a submarine, it's basically, it's like that. Like sometimes yeah. there might be, if we're top heavy, there might be like two, three, maybe. No, like our but top sniper, pretty EDM, much. like in relation, like your EDMC, our top snipe stood watch. And then yeah. his big thing, which I loved about him, um, he would go around and quiz watchstanders, mm. and then if they passed the quiz or whoever was the best watchstander for that day or that week, he would take their next watch. Oh wow, that's so, cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, they uh, our EDMCs traditionally don't stand watch, which I kind of like. Like, I don't think the cob or the EDMC should stand watch on a submarine. I don't know what the top snipes like gig is. He's a department for department yeah. LCPO for engineering. But I like. I think like nuke. They, they have weird rules and all this other yeah. sh- stuff that the EDMC has to like oversee and it's hard for that person to have like the field division detached from like being there actually standing a watch and be an effective like supervisor or manager of people when they're doing that because like, I've had uh, cobs that stand dive and I'm like you can't one of their primary things is like to be the supervisor of the ship's control party watch standards and it's like and ships control and you can't do that if you're doing it like yeah. if you're engaged in, and i can tell you like standing in the ships control trainer at ttf when you're 
an OI for a, a like an understruct, you see everything. Like mm-hmm. when you're not the one in the chair, folks are making decisions. I see everything as it's happening. I catch a lot of like the casualties that they're inserting and like the indications. Like I don't miss anything because I'm not like engaged at this micro level. Yeah. Where when I'm detached and standing back, I catch everything. And so I think that they're a more, much more effective supervisor when they're not standing watch. But like, those are like the only two on a submarine that you're like, yeah, you shouldn't stand watch, but like everyone else should be standing watch. Cause there's like, there's just no reason not to. Yeah. Um, it does suck though. <laughs> Being on watch for eight hours a day is brutal. Like, cause on three section watches on a submarine, even with eight hour watch, like that you do eight hours on watch, and, but then there's all this extra crap layered on top. So you got meetings, paperwork, sailor issues, twelve hours else. just with yeah, just with watch standing, twelve hours of your day is just gone. Like, because no. you'll do a pre watch brief, a post watch brief, clean up, and then you're that you have to like uh, we do these things called code reds. I don't know if they're the same on surface ships, but where it's like a mini fire drill where like yeah. the off going watch standers respond as rapid responders, and so you have to do a code red, and then it, like by the time you're done with like you get up early, you do the pre watch brief, then you go eat then you relieve then you're on watch for eight hours then you get off then you do clean up for an hour then you do post watch training and then you go to your code red by the time you're done with all that it's like 11 hours um and then you have to go do collateral duty things and then your primary duty yeah. and then like it's just like gee, it's like you like you barely sleep and even getting to my primary duty was brutal because like a lot of guys like i was the guy that got like all the oh you're gonna do all the collateral duties and yeah. my cob would want me to like effectively do his job for him because he was getting me ready to be a cop you know and it's like okay this feels a little like i'm being taken advantage of but okay because he like sit around and watch movies and stuff i'm like Hell dude yeah. you don't stand watch <laughs> and then he'd sit in the corner eating ice cream watching movies and i'm like why am i sitting here on my off going when i need to be doing my job when i have a division of sailors that need me it's not like he was running around out on the deck plate like no. getting after it because he wasn't he was just sitting in the corner watching, like binge watching TV shows. It was like, dude, what are you doing? But anyway, yeah, the uh, this is another like I don't know how we got here, but I'm like, oh, we were talking about season and the development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I went off on the tangent of why it's called a quarters, and we started talking oh, yeah, about yeah, meetings yeah. and everything yep. else. Yeah, but yeah, I I uh, I don't know, man. Like the the final night slash season stuff. I keep saying final night, but I really mean the whole season. It's like. I just, I think it should be. I think that yeah. I think we should turn it to the the precursor of season is what are we doing beforehand? Yeah, because, well, that's what I mean. I don't mean it should just be final night. I mean the entire season should have like a, a construct. I'm talking about before they even get selected. Yeah. Um. Well, I think Enlek's gonna, hopefully, hopefully. I know hope's not a plan, but hopefully Enlek is gonna plug a lot of those gaps with the courses and then like i'm sure they'll develop more tools as time goes on and they get more staffing and experience yeah. or whatever but like the ca- the classes they have with like the they have the beginner intermediate and advanced leadership courses and then they have the cpo leadership course and i've heard nothing but good things like i still haven't gotten to get to <laughs> gotten to a facilitator class which i've tried i signed up for one and then i had to go do an inspection so i no. had to have somebody go in my place but um i'm still going to try to get to one of those facilitator classes before i retire just to see what it's all about but and then I, somebody, a listener, gave me contact information for some of the chiefs that uh, stood it up. Like, hmm. they, he called, or he or she, that messaged me, called them plank owners or whatever, where they were, like, the first people that, and like that, like, stood up the whole program. Nice. And apparently they're interested in, in talking, so I just got to shoot them an email. But I'm curious, like, 
where that's going to go and how well that's actually going to work because it's it's still on the command to send people and eventually so i know at trf right it's mm. mandatory so there's tier one two and three for the eld that we do and you get picked and you're going to go through with your three years on shorty you're going to go through this week-long class for eld it's so, mandatory like at the command level yeah like oh, that's cool that's like good everybody, oh, everybody. Got, i just realized who your cmc was but we're going to talk about that after we're done recording yeah i love that dude yeah me i too. did a bunch of <laughs> cob qual stuff with him and like god he's the he was the cob of the submarine that i talk about where we went down for an inspection and it just felt different and it was yeah. like everybody was super motivated and he was like the guy that had the instead of delinquent in quals you were uh, shipmates that need our help that was <laughs> that was him and he was amazing he was like every time i saw him or, t- or talked to him during that inspection the dude was like winded because he was running around the submarine <laughs> with his hair on fire like making sure everything was cool because they had two major ships inspections going on but it was yeah. like he was just concerned about all the sailors on the ship and making sure they had everything they needed yeah and I'm like, that's exactly what you should be doing. But like, you don't see that a lot. And I'm no. like, this dude, I love that guy. Yeah, no. But so, yeah, we have the the tier one, two and three. Uh, it's a week long mm-hmm. class. We pull them out of their their shops at uh, TRF and they go and they do all the teamwork, innovation, mm-hmm. uh, communications. It's five days and they're all different. They're all taught by different chiefs. Yeah. And there's a facilitator guide. Like we have Good. to read the book, uh, the dichotomy of leadership yeah, by Jocko Wilkin. Right and there. Extreme Leaf. ownership, dichotomy leadership. Yeah. Out there somewhere. So that's yeah. like homework assignments that they have to do. They have to have yep. a, a Rube, uh, Goldstein thing yeah. and all types of other, that's other amazing, stuff. That's so amazing, dude. There's some good things going on. That's and because you have that CMC, I guarantee oh, it. Oh, 100%. Uh, <laughs> that's, but that's what's unfortunate as well. Like, even though that man is a national treasure, it's like he is a, also a single point failure. Like, as soon as that dude transfers, that's probably going to go away. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope so I'm wrong. I, I, and I would, I would say, I would bet to say that you are because the culture there's a culture shift that's happening that i believe that's happening mm-hmm. uh there where the mess in and of itself is buying into it or a, yeah. cu- a couple of them are and they want yeah. to support it because a it's it's good yeah. and b you get you get out of the office for a day and you get to go teach people okay so i, I think you'll see it stick around for six months after he leaves and it'll start to fade away because mm-hmm. like because I think what, this is just what I've seen happen with commands that have in, insane cultures like that that are, and I mean that in a good way, because, but it's because of those leaders that are there and then they get replaced and then you see the culture's nosedive. And it's like even the even the people that are buying in, because you said like there's a handful that are really, really buying into it, like those people will become the, the people that go to a command later as a command SEL and probably do the same thing that he's doing. But like I just unless they're in a position to keep because like he'll leave and then those people will keep the program going because they believe in it. But then they'll leave and then that's when it'll die. That's and when you got to find that's when you got to train your replacement. Dude. I agree with you, <laughs> but it doesn't happen, man. Like there's I've just seen it happen too many times where it's like when the leader that spins stuff like that up and it it's not like I don't believe they should still do it because there are a ton of people that get a, a lot of benefit from him being there. The, yeah. and being the driving force behind that kind of thing and and a lot of people like there are junior leaders there and chiefs and all that he's that are all going to go out to the fleet and do great things and lead a lot better than they would have if they hadn't encountered this program but 
the problem is the stuff never sticks around because I feel like like this CMC is putting a bandaid on a bullet hole and God bless him for doing it because it, it, it helps, it helps, yeah. but it's not a permanent solution because it's not an institutional level change. Like, but here's the thing. If you can get recognition mm-hmm. for it, I agree. Then that maybe could help turn the it, ship. It'll spread. I agree. Yeah. Like if that's the only way, like that's, that's with anything. Like if you, if there's a culture shift that needs to happen, it's got to start somewhere. And yeah. then the, every, the rest of the Navy has to figure out how to get on board and do it. Yeah, and I think that if that's happening, because that's probably what I would say, like, is what most people miss is that they don't they don't get that recognition. Because like, there's a bunch of kids that I did this podcast with, and it was funny. A bunch of junior sailors that did. Um, it's called um, Life Something. Why am I drawing a blank? It was the kids off the USS Hopper. It's like Life. Um, it's like a it's basically like an advocacy for like uh taking care of sailors and just treating them well and it kind of revolves more about around um like mental health stuff yeah um i'm gonna see if i can find it on facebook really quick say i have like a facebook page and life promotion so shout out to the uss hopper it's called life promotion and they they created this program on the hopper uh, and it was a bunch of second classes. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't like chiefs. There was no nav admin that came out. Like it just they just decided that they didn't want to be on a ship where um, people were treated poorly or ostracized or not included. And then it led to like issues where you've got a guy taking a gun, going on watch, and blowing his brains out. Yeah, no. and that's happened on a bunch of submarines and uh, bunch of ships. Insert any command. Yeah, it's yeah. happened there at least once. Right. So they just decided, hey, we're going to do something about this. So they started to create this program where they just go out of their way to like do like command level activities or um they have like these groups and text threads and like and it's everything from like come over to my house to thanksgiving to doing like madden tournaments on the ship but they like make sure everybody's included in everything and they made sure like nobody was on the ship by themselves for holidays and like just all of those typical like like weak points where people kind of fall through the cracks they just addressed it all and then they brought it to the command and then the command got behind it and pushed. And so like, then they got all the support from the command where they would like work it into the plan of the week and all this other stuff Nice. where they would be able to do all these things for, for sailors. And, um, it got, it ended up getting recognized by a ton of like higher echelon commands in the Pearl Harbor area. And then I think, and this was a while ago, I haven't checked in with them, but when I talked to them, uh, I think it was just after the podcast. They there was like four or five other ships in the area that started doing the same thing, and then it's infectious. Were, yeah, and they were working on getting like a bigger level instruction and all this crap. Which does it? You you, you kind of get caught in the paradox of does it happen in the same way with the same enthusiasm without those kids on that sh- on all those other ships? I don't know. Like you know yeah, what I mean? I mean and, and but you look at like the warrior toughness program that they're doing. And like when they're making it an institutional level thing and they're taking it so seriously that they have people installed at RTC where they have like a psychologist, a chaplain and a Navy SEAL master chief yeah. to kind of address what they decided were like the all like the different facets of toughness and like resilience and stuff. And then they're spreading all this media about it and doing all these things. They made it a mandatory part of like, I think the chief season this year, right? Uh, I don't, wasn't that part of it? I don't know. But I don't know. It's a pretty cool program where they're trying to build in resilience um, 
instead of like reacting to the issues that come from like mental health struggles and yeah. like all this other stuff. And, yeah. And it's we can like, go down a rabbit hole in that one too, because yeah. the people nowadays, I don't feel like they've had to harbor as much, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like the resiliency isn't there because they haven't been through some of the same things or they they might've been different. But I mean, now, with COVID and everything, it's... Yeah, I think some of it is that. Like, some of it... I've encountered a bunch of junior sailors that the resilience wasn't there because they'd never done anything hard in their entire that's, life. Yeah, that's what the point that I was trying to get to. And But I don't think that's everybody. Um, no, it's not everybody. And but... I think that it's probably less than half. Like, it's, an, it's a good-sized chunk of, like, junior sailors coming in nowadays, but I don't buy into, like, the, oh, millennials, which is funny because that's the wrong term. It's, like, Gen Z or something, but, yeah. like, we'd all, I think all those terms are stupid, but, um, like, I'm technically a millennial and I'm super old, so that well, doesn't what, what you're technically classified 80, as is an elder, 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 elder yeah. millennial. Yeah. I like elder. Just call me an elder. <laughs> that's good. I feel like a, like a Lord, or Lord of the Rings character. Um, as you sit cross-legged in your gaming chair. Hey, you know, <laughs> stop judging <laughs> See, people can't make fun of me when we do remote podcasts, but now. Um, but yeah, like I, I found that like I still get a really wide cross section of people and a lot of them are like built different the same way that I feel like, like I, I, on a couple submarines, it was a couple submarines ago. So, I mean, this was like the 2013 ish. There was a kid on that submarine that was homeless when he joined the Navy and you could tell, dude, not like in a bad way, like just in how hard he worked and the attitude that he have and, yeah. and, and like his level of resilience, like you couldn't phase this kid. Yeah. Like he was just like happy to be there. <laughs> and it was just like, he's like, I have to sweep in your game. Give me money. I will be the yeah. best sweeper. And, ever. He wa- and he wasn't even like, um, he wasn't like the most emotionally expressive kid ever. Like I would say he's, he was like the opposite. Like he had a very like, um, stone faced demeanor. Yeah. But he was just, he was just thrilled to not be homeless. Oh and Yeah. You could tell that he would just like put it like nothing was like, oh, uh, this sucks. I don't want to go clean the bilge. Like he was just like, OK, mm. just went and did it. Mm. And he did really well. And then he got out and went on to do great things. But it's like there I've I still encounter a lot of those sailors. And even at the A school, I still encountered a lot of kids that had wild stories. And, and you could just tell that they weren't they weren't that they weren't the kid that was sheltered and that never yeah. had a job and never got held accountable for anything and just never had to do anything hard. And to, then they joined the military and just have gotten punched in the face since <laughs> the recruiter's <laughs> office. And they're just like, why does everybody hate me? It's like, cause I do understand. And, and I think the warrior toughness thing is going to benefit them the most. The ones that have, have like basically just finished childhood but they never got pushed out of the nest to go do hard things before they joined the military. Um, Because you see like when people have lived a little bit of adult life outside of the military and then joined, they're usually a lot more, um, they do, they do better because they're used to the responsibility and they're used to certain expectations of a job. And sometimes you get the ones that like react negatively because they joined super late because they didn't do well outside the (laughs) Navy. And then they're like, you have to respect me because I'm older than you. And it's like, actually there's a rank structure here and that's not how it works. Well, yeah, no, like I had with my first ship that I checked into, um, I was a third class and then I had, um, somebody come in a new check-in and they were 34 and I was yeah. 19. Yep. I was like, Hey sir, 
we gotta go we gotta go do this <laughs> yeah. you know but it, it all it all comes with yeah yeah i don't know like and i i feel like um i feel like the are the bigger problem with like why the navy thinks resilience is a problem is that you're it's like everyone's set up to fail in a lot of ways like and you could point at a lot of reasons why like it it probably starts with it probably starts with manning um and like i would point at leadership development education as a big part of that because like i feel like it's almost the answer to every question even though like it's sometimes harder to link it it's like the reason why like so you sit there and ask the question like why is manning so bad and it's like well because we, we, we can't recruit enough people. Mm, I don't know if that's true. Like, I know, I, I think it's when you get to a level where people are making like the bean counter decisions about like how many people we need and why. And then you, you even go above that. It's like how many billets are funded and why, how much money are we allowed to get? And yeah. It's like, then you start asking the questions like, what do they actually care about and why? And it's like, okay, so if you were taught how to be a better leader, then you <laughs> you'd be addressing the needs of the service based on how it affects these human beings yeah. instead of is your spreadsheet green? And that's you one of, I mean? that's one of my biggest things that I've always had to um, develop with my JOs yeah. is that you care about the numbers. I don't Yeah, like, I need to make sure that this work gets done yeah. and not, Oh, we need to go do this, this and this and this because Chang needs me to go do this. Yeah. I'm like, it's not the way that this works for me. Yeah, and I'd say, like, I try to build some of that into them because I'm looking at them like future COs at this point because I've yeah. seen some of the JOs from my first boat are post-CO tour now, and it's just, like, it's kind of wild. But um, try to, I try to build some of the, like, I don't know what the word would be, like, just, like, the humanity part into them of, like, hey, these decisions affect real people, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm the one that sees that, and I'm the one that has to deal with that. And so a lot of times, like when my JOs or department heads or whatever try to make decisions, it's like they got to go through me to get to my people because like I'm going to have to deal with the fire you're about yeah. to start. And it's like, no, we're not doing that. And here's why. Yeah. And so and I but I sit down and take the time to explain to them, like, look, you make that decision. Here's all the here's all the tertiary effects you're not thinking about. Mm-hmm. And here's why the whole boat's about to hate you. <laughs> and it's like you got to think about that stuff, yeah. because like anybody that thinks that morale it like isn't a giant part of why people why and how people do their jobs like you're you're not paying attention and you're not properly educated on how like people are motivated and yeah it it hurts my head sometimes but yeah it's i think it's a really important thing that a lot of chiefs don't take as seriously as they should um i have a lot of buddies that on submarines they rotate division officers every five minutes and it's almost like it's like they're there to learn just enough to get into their department head tour kind of thing. Yeah. Just enough to be dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a lot of the chiefs. It's like they, they get this kind of jaded mentality about division officers and how useless they are and how you're just hindering my ability to get work done. And it's like, okay, but why are they like that chief? Like you have to train your division officer. Part of it is being a chief is being able to train not just your junior sailors, but also the Mm -hmm. junior officers that are going to one day be in charge of everybody that's here. The junior, like the, the, 
the understanding should be that a junior officer is your junior sailor. Like they could, they're 12. Like they put the uniform on (laughs) five minutes ago, just like the seaman that you have. Like, and they should come in with that understanding is like, look, I'm here to learn from you instead of like, cause there are J I think it's rarer than people make it seem, but there are JOs that come in and think they're actually in charge. And it's like, look, you just play one on TV right now, but eventually I'm going to make a real leader out of you. <laughs> so it's like, and, and that's, it's not an insult. It's not a swipe at them. It's no, like, it's, it's, I've, I've it's been facts. doing this for the last 17 years and you've been doing it for six months. Right. And you just haven't like, you're brand new to this. You have no idea what you're doing. You barely know your way around the ship. So of course you don't know anything about leadership. Yeah. I'm here to teach you. Mm-hmm. I'm your safety net. I'm your backstop. I told like my last two department. Well, so my, that one department head, she showed up as like a lieutenant and she knew what she was doing already. Kind of. So like yeah. she, I, I needed way less attention from me by the time I got there. Cause she was already like summer qualified. And I mean, well, she put on her fish right after I got there, but she also got promoted to 03. Like she, she had been around for a minute and didn't yeah. need me to, I still taught her things, but we were more of a team at that point. Yeah. But her relief was a brand new baby ensign. And she, needed a lot of attention and I told her when she first checked in I'm like you don't go anywhere do anything or talk to <laughs> anyone without me or LSC standing right next to you yeah. it's like do you understand and, I, and it's not because I want to treat you like a child it's not because I don't think that you're smart or think that you have value it's because you have no idea what you're doing and the little good idea fairy in the back of your mind is going to get you in trouble mm-hmm. and I don't want you to get in trouble and I'll keep you out of that trouble and I'll show you how to navigate all those landmines yeah. but I can only do it when I'm there I can only defend you and and like stand in front of you when, when people are trying to attack you and like all this I can only do those things when I'm there if yeah. you do something when I'm not around and I'm like I told her I'm like if that means come get me out of the rack you better come get me out of the rack like you do not ever go in the CO or XO stateroom you don't talk to the cob like you don't talk to anybody unless I'm there or LSC's there until we tell you it's okay and we did eventually but and it wasn't like they a lot of people interpret that negatively and it's like I'm trying to protect you let me do my job Mm -hmm. Um, and it's I think that if chiefs took that way more seriously they would uh, you would see uh, like a, a large shift in the way that officers interact with chiefs. And I think that like it's particularly pronounced in the submarine community because all of our officers are nuclear trained. Yeah. So you get a it's not universal. I'm actually going to talk to uh, his name's Jason Pittman. He was a CEO of a submarine that uh, shout out to test up. Those guys were uh, they interviewed him and he seems like he's a more down to earth type of guy. And yeah. I'm going to ask him a lot of questions about those types of things. Um, but there are a lot of the 11 twenties is what they're called. It's like their designator, um, that have a hard time. Like, it's like they read a book on management and then that's over or Mm. like, and so it's like, there's not a lot of people like soft people skills. Like there's not a lot of like understanding of how human beings actually work. It's like, I want to like take Maslow's hierarchy of needs and just go, (laughs) you know, like, it's like because they just don't think about those types of things as much as they should or they discount them as not important if they are confronted with them a lot of the times not all the time because like Pittman sounds from the podcast I heard and I had a quick conversation with him on Instagram like seems like an awesome dude and I've met guys like that and they're mostly guys at this point a lot of the female officers I worked with I feel like are more they understand that part a lot more like the I think that um, there's a she's 
probably on her way to her department head tour now. But uh, we called her Pico. She's, I'll tell you why later, but like she's going to be an amazing, like she's going to be the best CEO ever when she yeah. gets to that point. If she's, if she sticks around that long, but I think they're a lot more and, and I, you know, you could go into some weird, like women are more sensitive thing. I don't even know what it is, but I just know that the female officers I've encountered almost all of them are more in touch with that side of it. Like just how to deal with people and the understanding and empathy of like the things those sailors are going through that the ones that, that work for them. Yeah. I think there's a big difference too, because submarines by and large for a long time were all male. Mm -hmm. And so the empathy aspect wasn't there because if you were an empathetic (laughs) male, yeah, you you were were just a, you were soft. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I think that that's probably good bringing females yeah. into the sub community and, and showing people that they can actually be treated like people instead of just cogs in a machine. And yeah. so that's like the biggest thing is being empathetic to people. And that's like, and I'll, I'll relate this back to being a dad. Like my kids at, at large hate each other, but like, <laughs> they, I mean, yeah, they don't like looking at each other. They don't like breathing next to each other. <laughs> like, but treat them how you want to be treated yeah, like if you want me yeah. to treat you that way i can yeah. but i'm not going to because i'm your dad and i love you and you should treat everybody the way that you want to be treated yeah. and when you get a group of guys together right. they're going to treat everybody how they want to be treated and that's not always the nicest yeah but is it how they want to be treated because it, it almost feels like a stupid nature channel the documentary when you get a bunch of dudes together where it's like there's just this and and i i've i get into the weeds sometimes with like certain podcasts and audiobooks and stuff but it and Jeff Bayless got me addicted to Brene Brown but it's she, she does she's a vul, or trauma researcher she talks about vulnerability a ton mm-hmm. and if you haven't listened to her books I highly recommend them but like she talks about the importance of play and like they talk about that a lot in relation to like kids and just people in general where it's like when you watch like uh, bear cubs or like tigers or yeah. something, like those are like apex predators. Mm-hmm. But the kid, the babies, they play all yeah. the time, and it's like really important out, like how to do what we need to do as predators later to be able to feed. Maybe that's where we're failing them. as chiefs is that we always segregate ourselves from being able to play or be having that emotional tie to yeah. the junior sailors. That's what. Yeah, that's and where I was so going with that. Yeah, it's like we don't have like. <laughs> Yeah, we joke around, but we're never there, or it seemed like it's, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Fraternization. Yeah. Whenever you have that type of relationship with the people that I work for you. I think you're on to something. Because, like, I don't know what it's like on other ships and stuff, and, but I, for all the things that I could criticize, I think one of the things submarines gets right is that relationship. Most of the time, like, the chiefs that struggle are the ones that don't do it. Yeah. But, like, the chiefs that... I think most chiefs on submarines buy, and it's almost, it's almost, you're almost forced into it. Like, and yeah. I think on a destroyer, you're probably close to forced into it, but like, you're almost forced into a close relationship with your sailors because like I, I, most divisions, there's like six or 10 people. Like you can't, they have ready access to you at all times. Yeah. And when somebody needs something, it's go get chief. It's not yeah. go get the second class work center supervisor yeah. or the LPO. So it's like you you have like almost an inability to to disappear separate yourself. Yeah. yeah i mean you can if you really want to but like it's it's really difficult to separate yourself 
in a way that that relationship won't develop organically. Like, well, yeah. those are my kids, man. Like, oh yeah, for sure. I would lay down in you traffic know, they're for all on, of them. You're, they're, they're either on your watch team. I mean, they work yeah. for you. Or you're working hand in hand with them, or for your case, you're in the galley cooking with them. Yeah, you know, or me, like I'm fixing the toilets with them. So yeah. they're like, "Go oh, get chief. I can't get this clog out." And yeah. here I come. They're like, yep. "How'd you do that?" I'm like, well, here's know. how. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And it, it. But I also think that like. We would, because I wouldn't always be cooking with them, but I'd be in there with them, you know, yeah. like just talking and joking and like spending time with them. Like, so when I would come down to review paperwork, it wasn't just me like with my red pen going through the paperwork and then going to the rack. It was like, I'd spend time joking around, talk to them. They yeah. would tell me stories. I would tell them stories, but it's also like, it, it became like a, it became that way because I built enough trust th- that they knew they could do that with me. You know what I mean? So they would, it wasn't their reputation of being yeah, approachable. Yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't come tell me all this stuff and they would probably avoid me to the max extent possible. Um, until the interactions are forced by like work and stuff. If I hadn't like authentically communicated that that was okay. Like, no. that, like, Hey, no, I really do care about you. I'm not just saying that I really do want to know about your family and like the things you like to do in your free time. And, um, even if it's just me asking stupid questions about something I don't understand, like they're, they were into like a bunch of weird video games. Like, That's all of them. I don't get it, but no. like explain it to me. Like, and, and I could probably relate it to something and then that's how we can have that conversation. But, um, I think a lot of chiefs don't do that. And if they do do it, cause I, I'm saying that and there's probably chiefs who are like, I do that. Okay. Do you do it authentically because you actually care or do you do it because it's a thing you think you should do? Yeah. Like where we talk during the chief season about like, you got to know your people. You got to go talk to them and ask them their wife's name and what kind of dog they have. And like all this <laughs> stuff that it, if you do it in a way that's not authentic is there, these junior sailors are going to immediately see through it. Oh yeah. And they're not going to want to like, do you like, it's like talking to a robot. Like, I don't want to do that. Like go no. away. Like you're weird. You're creeping me out. <laughs> Like just um, a weird old guy just hanging out yeah, in the shop. Like like that Steve Buscemi <laughs> meme. There's like, hello, young people. And like it's holding like a skateboard and stuff. Like it's like that where it's like, I don't need to try to be cool. Like I just need to be because in the role I'm in, it's it's you're almost like a, a parental role where it's like you're finishing these people into adults. Like I'm I don't need to be your friend. I just need to be that person in your life that cares about you in that way and I'm kind of more filling a parental role yeah. so like I don't need to try to be cool and relate to them on the same level I just need to communicate to, to them that I authentically care about them and then they're going to trust me enough over time like building that rapport to bring me their issues yeah. which is like the whole point like I can't do my job if they're not bringing me their issues yeah. and I think we probably miss the mark on that more than we're willing to admit for sure like I think that that would fix oh, yeah. a lot of problems mm-hmm. And, but then, like, what's weird about it is you get you loop back around to the, well, leadership development and education is a dumpster fire because they don't understand. I think a lot of leaders don't understand that in order to do that, like, you have to, you, like, you have to have all these other skills also because for me to develop that relationship and have them trust me, I need to be able to illustrate to them that it's not just me saying things out loud by through action of some kind right where like when something comes up i actually go out of my way to take care of them and at the command level you're talking about like 
plan of the week, plan of the day stuff, or like like not keeping people at work super late for no reason, or all yeah. the all the stuff that you see sailors populating all these meme sites with mm-hmm. about how we're the devil and like the chief's mess <laughs> is the evil empire. The reason they do that is because actions speak louder than words. So like yeah. we could sit here and have this conversation, but until command triads start following through and they live at a command where they go home at a reasonable time unless it's unavoidable and they're well taken care of and like how that Yemen 2 was telling me about the he has heat went out in the middle of winter in New Hampshire and they were giving him a hard time about not being at work good night and it's like that's insane oh yeah and it's it, it's insane to the level that I would have been in my CMC's office screaming at him if if he was the like supporting that which it sounds like that was that kid's chief only and it didn't go it didn't get elevated above that chief yeah which is unfortunate. But if I had found out about that, that chief would have been at mast. Like I, I would have melted that dude's face off. Yeah. And I think if more people are willing to kind of go to war over stuff like that, because even if you lose, like even if the, even if I went and screamed at that CMC and the CMC told me to go after myself and kick me out of his office, and then like at the bare minimum, it's going to get back to that sailor if for no other reason than the volume of my voice yeah. that I screamed at the CMC over that. Yeah. And I, maybe I got kicked out of his office and nothing changed, but I just screamed at the CMC for him yeah. or her. Yeah. Right. So that demonstrates to those sailors that you're not just saying you care about them. You actually do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So even if you lose that argument, like <laughs> at great risk to my own safety, oh, yeah. I screamed at the but then that, that goes back to like the same thing and talk about the new community. My little brother's in uh, a nuke machinist mate. And so their pipeline is so stringent. Yeah. How much time do you really have to develop those people to be good chiefs? And that's not, there, there are good nuke chiefs that are out there. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But if you come in and you spend two years at power school and then yeah. you go to prototype and then you yeah. go to your first ship and then you make first and then the next year, next three years, you're working in the pit and then you put on anchors and you're an eight year chief. Mm-hmm. Like how much experience and everybody's experience is different. But how do you have that time to develop you, them, especially with the watch rotation that they have, the oars that they have to go through, yeah. the monthly trainings that they have to study yeah. for? Like, there's no time in there for development for leadership. But you don't have that time because NR is in self-inflicting those those wounds, right? Yeah. Where all of the stuff, all of the demands on their time, starting at the training pipeline and going all the way through their entire career, it's all inflict. We're it, as an organization, it's as an organization, it's self-inflicted, and l- largely talk like talking to all the nukes I've ever known about the stuff because I do. I, I've asked a lot of questions of nuke chiefs and. Um, like first classes, second classes, like this kid that I've talked to a few times now. It's like I I ask a lot of questions out of curiosity because it seems so insane to me the way that they've structured everything. And so I'm like, why do you, you spend all this time doing this mandatory death by PowerPoint training? And it's like you cycle through it over and over again to the point that like that EM and two told me that like he could just flip back to the notes he took last quarter and it's the exact same information. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even have to take any notes because he's not getting any new data that it's like you have time. You're just filling it with other things that you could probably give a little on and you they would be able to like spend an hour a day on leadership development stuff like in Charleston during the initial session pipeline or make enough hour gaps each day over the however many like six, eight, nine, ten months that they're at one schoolhouse that they could then devote like a two week chunk at the beginning or at the end or whatever to yeah. p- 
putting them through the leadership like the, the and like ELD stuff or whatever. Yeah. It, it's just like, and I feel like everything could, you could point it that in, in that kind of a way. Cause it's like, I get on my soapbox about like cook training. It's like the Navy's cooks can't cook even. And I love you guys. So don't get mad at me. <laughs> like they can't cook cause they've never been taught how to cook. And this is no. coming from a guy that was the command SEL at the, the schoolhouse. Like I ran the schoolhouse and it was like punching myself in the face every day for, for three years straight. It was like, Loved those kids, wanted nothing but the best for them, did everything we possibly could to prepare them for the fleet. But it's like 25 training days, lopped two of the two off the top for like in doc graduation practice, graduation and going over to get uniforms from SIF and all this dumb stuff. It's like and then if there's like a four day holiday weekend, like it's blows everything up. So you've got like 23 ish training days. Mm hmm to teach them what the civilian industry at its shortest possible length to get a certificate that's not going to pay you any more money. It's just going to give you like a, a baseline level of knowledge to enter a professional career as a culinarian, which is like minimum wage to yeah. start, right? Is six months long. Good night. And then a regular certificate program is a year long. And an associate's degree, which I have, is two years long. And a two-year associate's degree, and I don't have like a two-year community college degree. I have a two-year degree from one of the best culinary schools on earth. And it's like I would enter at like 28 to 32 grand a year probably because it's it's a business that values experience yes. and like the diversity and quality of that experience and professional certifications over stuff like that mm -hmm. it's not that that's bad like they, they know the baseline level of knowledge that i have entering is is high quality and is i'm classically trained and they've got like something to work with there but i don't have reps like i don't have a ton of experience doing the thing over and over again to where like yeah i know how to make a like a let's say like a flan but i don't know i don't have the repetitions to make that thing perfectly a hundred times a year yeah. you know what i mean and it's like because i need those reps and and that comes just with time and experience so like 23 training days is enough to teach them how to wash their hands and wear a hat when they go in the galley <laughs> that, like it really they have they have almost an equal amount of time on leave in transit to their command so it's like they're gonna forget everything even if they actually practice every day yeah because they didn't get any practice reps they got a small amount of exposure to a whole lot of things mm. and then sent out to the fleet so it's impossible to to put out a functioning cook on watch like and then you send them out to the fleet where they're being trained by people who also have never been classically trained and taught yeah. so it's like you're shooting ourselves in the foot just like the nukes are in reverse they have all the time in the world to teach them how to be outstanding nukes and objectively by the civilian industry they are valued as the best quality oh, yeah. nuke there's so many that they out could there. possibly hire so they've nailed that like they, they we make the best nukes objectively hands mm -hmm. down like no argument but when we send them out to the fleet and put them in a leadership role we haven't prepared them for it just like we haven't prepared the cooks just like we haven't prepared any other rate in the navy yeah unless they happened upon the the best mentors ever along the way, and it's and like, those. I mean, there's they're few and far between, but they're out there. Yeah, I credit the a lot of my development to I made chief in the best chief's mess ever. Like I was on a special project submarine where you have to volunteer to get there. For whatever reason, the guys that were volunteering to be there were all really senior, and they were all the types of dudes that would have been like the strong type A personality in yeah. whatever mess on whatever submarine, like. 
they would and i mean like some people would go even go so far as to say they would all be like the number one ep chief on another submarine or senior chief Mm -hmm. and it was really top heavy we had a ton of senior chiefs and like four master chiefs and it was just like it was like chief university dude like i made chief and they kept me there so i was there for like eight nine months as a first class and Mm -hmm. then i made chief and they kept me there and sent the other chief packing so i got to learn how to be a chief amongst all those super strong chiefs and it was like it was like the reverse structure of a normal submarine chiefs mess where there's probably like three pipe hitters some guys that are like you know solid and then some knuckleheads and it's like we had like one or two knuckleheads and and a couple of average guys and then everybody else was a pipe hitter yeah it was insane and so it was just like you couldn't i couldn't do anything wrong it was impossible yeah. because there was always a chief around the corner to punch me in the face. Like That's it was, funny. I couldn't get away with anything. That's funny. I was still getting called up into the chief's court because we had on this boat, you, they added a hundred foot section in the middle. So there was a oh, lower, I, yeah. wor- I worked on that project. Okay, so lower level, upper level yeah. chief's quarters. So upper level chief's quarters, we call it the high rent district because that's where <laughs> Cobb, EDMC, all the senior chiefs, yeah. stuff like that. And then the lower rent district was lower level where all the young chiefs and just chiefs were, right? It was like overflow. And uh, so if you got called upstairs to the high rent district, <laughs> you were in trouble or whatever. So I dude, I was up there every day for the first like year, year and change, just getting punched in the face by my cob. And I eventually learned that it was because I was never talking to him and I didn't know that I needed. To. I like, why? Oh, yeah. I don't, if I'm not doing anything wrong. But in his mind, if he never sees me and I never talk to him, then I'm not doing anything. And yeah. like, so he was just always dragging me up there to talk to, to him because I guess he th- and I don't know like I don't know if that's 100% accurate but it had to be partially accurate because so this was the corpsman like that he was basically my chief because the chief I had when I was the first class was real weak so I was always in there talking to him and he was a senior chief it was a second chief's turn of submarine like really senior dude he's awesome and um he kept telling me he's like you got to go up there and talk to him man like you got to go talk to him in his mind out of sight out of mind like if he doesn't see you, it's because something's wrong. Yeah. And like, like so you're you, hiding something from him. Yeah. Like you got to go up there and like, let him know what's going on. Like, just tell him, Hey, I had this issue. This is what I'm doing about it. Just wanted to let you know that kind of stuff. And I'm like, but why, if I don't need him to, to like, if I'm not like firing up a flare, like, Hey Cobb, I need your help with this thing. Like why? I, I didn't know. I just couldn't process like, why I don't need him. <laughs> so why everything's going fine. I'm fine. And I mean, I wasn't entirely true either, but I thought it was. So then I finally started doing it. As soon as I started doing it, he stopped calling me up there and yelling at me all the time. And I was like, all right, well, there's something to this. But You're learning. Yeah, it was. But it was one of those things, man, where it was just it didn't matter. Like you couldn't do you couldn't step. You couldn't even like think about stepping across a line because like one of these chiefs was always there to smack you in the back of the head. And be like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Like boot get over funny. here and get your life together <laughs> and like you'd sit down at the cheese table for lunch and like hey man how you doing you're looking you're looking a little like rough or you're looking stressed <laughs> out like this dude he's and i think he might work for you guys as a civilian or he works for some contractor but i've seen him down on boats doing stuff after he retired but we called him frenchy good dude he's a real tiny a-gang chief that was working for the detachment and uh I sat down, he was a senior chief at the time, and I sat down at the table for lunch one day, and this was like, yeah, I'm three months into my being a chief, you know? Yeah. Like, and I just, I must have just looked shell-shocked, because I sat down, <laughs> and he just looks at me, he goes, hey, man, what's going on? You look, uh, you look like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. 
I just looked at him like, what do you do when everything's broken? Because I had basically done an, a self-audit with the checklist that I use now to do inspections. Yeah. And I was just like, every program was a dumpster fire. Nothing was being done correctly. We found out. We did a wall-to-wall inventory. Um, and like we would deploy with more food than a normal submarine. But like, let's say you deploy with half a million dollars of inventory, um, which for us, I mean, for a submarine, that's a lot. We did an inventory and I had half a, or I had a quarter million dollars of food on my inventory that was not on the submarine because they just did such a garbage job of maintaining like their inventory yeah. and like tracking it and stuff with my last chief. And so I was just like, like, I can't fix that. Like, that's insane. So then I like contacted the squadron and did all this other stuff. But just in general, like everything was on fire. And I'm like, well, what do you do? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like I, I was frozen. Like I was just like, where do I start? Like yeah. everything's broken. And he just looks at me, he goes, make a list, which it sounds like you've already done. Prioritize that list and start doing one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. It's like pretty soon you're going to look around and everything's going to be fixed. And I was just like, okay. And that's what I did. And it, exactly how he yep. described it is what happened. And, um, stuff like that man where it was just like that's and he's a guy that i probably talked to him half a dozen times because the detachment wasn't always on board yeah and when they were there was like this place on the ship you can't go like you know like it's where we keep the stargate it's like you can't go down there <laughs> so like it well i didn't see him a lot like i'd see him but i didn't see him a lot and when i did see him like i didn't talk to him a ton but i talked to him yeah and I still remember just that thing, like guys like that, like him, where I didn't have this super strong relationship with him, but I, ne- I still, I they give vividly, you little nuggets. I vividly remember that exchange and it like stayed with me until now. Like, and I'm yeah. sure it'll stay with me for, I've told that story a ton of times because it was super impactful and I remembered it because it worked and it was just like all those guys, there were so many of them and it was like, they were around you all the time. So it was like, there was always somebody to ask, like, what do I do now? Like, yeah. like, I don't know. I feel like I'm like faking it, but, and so I, I credit that for a lot of the reasons why I am the way that I am. And I, and I was even, I had lunch with the EDMC I had there who was a, an anomaly. Like he was insane. He was so good. Um, and that doc, the IDC that was kind of my chief, um, I had a dinner with them before I went to my first BN, like mm-hmm. my last boat. Um, so I had, they were both in Pearl and I had dinner with them and they're like, we wanted to have this dinner with you to prepare you for what's about to happen. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, dude, you're not going to the same place. Like you, like you've only been a chief on that boat. And he's like, we need you to understand what the chief's mess is going to be like on this boat. And I was like, well, what's, what's going to be so different about it? He goes, it's, it's inverted like the the power structure is inverted where it's going to be like there's going to be maybe one other guy like you and then there's going to be some like middle of the road guys but then there's going to be a bunch of knuckleheads and it's like there's going to be a lot of people where they're going to operate at the lowest power level like the power level output possible yeah unless there's a catalyst for them not to. Yeah. So there's like, unless somebody's punching them in the face, they're going to like go into low power mode all the time. Yeah. It's the same thing that I told my selects this year. I was like, there's three different types of chiefs in the mess. So think of it like a shopping cart. You got the chiefs that are going to tag behind and just hang onto the handle. You got the chiefs that are going to sit in the cart and not do anything. And then you got the chiefs out in front that are going to pull the cart and get it where it needs to go. Yeah. And just remember that when you come in. Mm -hmm. And, and on that, on the special boat, it was like, 
almost everybody was pulling the cart <laughs> and there was a couple of dudes sitting in the cart that we would occasionally smack and then they would like get out and pretend to pull the cart for a little while and then get back at, you know what I mean but it was mostly like that cart was going fast and it was <laughs> it was impressive like nobody was really sitting around um but then yeah I mean they really were like dude like do you, we need you to understand like you're used to everybody operating at yeah. this super high level of output that's not gonna happen here yeah. and like I'm so glad that happened because otherwise I probably would have murdered somebody because that's when I funny. went into that boat it was like I was the only guy well that's not true there was one other dude but he was about to transfer and he was so frustrated with being the old, like the guy, only smart kid there that was yeah. like putting out <laughs> that he was like cl- starting to clock out. You know, yeah. he was just like, I can't anymore, man. He got, and like when I checked in, he like high five me goes, you got, I had it. You got it. <laughs> like he's, he's like, dude, I just can't, I just can't care anymore. He's like, yeah. this place is, and it, you know, it was, we had a cob that basically got soft fired and like, it was bad. And, but luckily, so I showed up. And then I had an EDMC showed up who's incredible, really great dude. And then a buddy of mine who had made Chief the year before me on the special boat and then left, who was also like a pipe hitter, he showed up kind of by accident. He was supposed to go be a cob and then he got screwed because they needed sonar chiefs at yeah. sea. And so this dude, he should have been a cob. He would have been the best cob ever. And then he had this medical stuff come up so then he had to retire and it was just mm-hmm. like, ah. Uh, like I would I would have like given a vital organ for that dude to be a cop even for like a year just yeah. so a crew could have experienced him because he was so good and uh, so we had we ended up with this like like these four department chiefs that were all just like pipe hitters and so then it was like we started dragging that cop along until the new guy showed up when he got soft fired and the new guy that showed up he was like He's not a bad dude. Like I, he's a guy. Like I learned things from him. I would say, if you plot it, if you like plotted, a, <laughs> if somebody who is qualified to, because I'm probably not, like plotted an evaluation of all the cobs that are in the Navy right now, like he was probably slightly above average. But like yeah. he did this thing that was frustrating to me, where like when he first showed up, he knew he was going there to fix something, mm-hmm. so he did, and he did a really good job. And he created a pretty strong culture. And But what happened after that? But then as soon as he... It was like moving into a new house. As soon as he got everything how he wanted it, yeah. into low power mode. And mm. it was just... But he also knew he could get away with it because he had us as department chiefs. Yeah. So like nothing really changed. He still kind of put on the show that he needed to. And you, you could make the case that in his in his view, he was like just letting us run it and stuff like that. But it was like it got to the point where we were being taken advantage of like, and I don't think he viewed it that way. And you know, I never had that discussion with him because I was one of the few guys that challenged him when I thought he was doing something stupid. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times he would listen to me, but a lot of times he would tell me to shut up and color. And it would be like a, like a dad snapping at you, you know, like he would start talking to me like that. And I'm like, okay, off, like go, go ahead and go fail then. Like, because that was some of the stuff he would do. It was just like, dude, like it was like the J.O. conversation. Well, I, I'm I'm trying to protect you. Yeah. I'm trying to make sure that you don't end up on the cover of the Navy Times. But if you don't want that, fine. I'll yeah. go sit in my corner <laughs> and just let you barrel into the fireball yeah. that you're about. Yeah, you know I mean, like 
this is about to be a fiery car crash. Have fun. Like, yeah. and it, and it a lot, sometimes it was, and you know, he didn't end up on the cover of the Navy times, but he came close a couple of times, I would say. Um, I don't know, but he, he definitely relied a lot on those people and got lucky that he had those people. He also even went like, he went so far as to like go out and recruit guys. Cause like that one sonar tech that we did lose, and he went out and found another one and mm-hmm. thank God he did. Cause that guy was amazing. And it's like, it was just one of those things where it's like, if he would have left, then it would have been me and EDMC by ourselves. And so some stuff might've fallen off, you know? Yeah. And so like, I think he understood that he needed that. Um, or he just wanted to not do that work, you know, which that is, could be it. That's what it felt like because same thing, that guy showed up and he got a bunch of stuff shoveled on his plate that he, again, you could, I could see it from both sides. I could see him understanding it as he was he was challenging us so that we, when we were cobs, we would be like prepared. Mm-hmm. But it definitely stepped across the line of us being taken advantage of, and I, like I don't know if he knew it or not. I don't know if he was doing it on purpose because he was he knew he could get away with it and he knew we could handle it, even yeah. though it was it was unfair. Like I don't know, but. It's not the way I would have done it. <laughs> and it's not the way your CMC would have done it either when he was doing it because that guy's amazing. But, yeah, I don't know, man. It's weird. And it's like I feel, I have this fear, too, that, like, as I transition out, like, as I retire, I'm going to start to I'm going to start to, like, forget what it was like to really be there. Like, I'm going to have to like rely more on dudes like you that are really doing it still. <laughs> Cause like, I'm afraid that like when I retire and I'm doing the podcast, people are eventually going to be like, well, what do you know? Like you haven't been active duty for five years. Or something. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too. I mean, um, when you came in, it was a lot different. Yeah. And then yeah. when I came in, things were different and then now they're different. And yeah. so, I mean, and that's one of the things, another thing that I told the selects this year too, I was like, the Navy's going to change. And if you don't change with it, you're going to get left behind. You have to adapt yeah. to the change and be able to, to still get your division to see your vision, even yeah. though they're not the same type of people that you are. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so much of it is universal though. Like you're right. And I, I've seen it happen. Um, like I, you, there's stuff that happened to me in my first two, three years in the Navy that today would be a sexual assault case. Oh, yeah. Like, I 100% by definition by today's definition I've been sexually assaulted like a hundred times oh yeah so it's like and I'm not saying that's okay or it was a good thing or even that like I was okay with it when it happened like I tried to fight a dude the first day I was on the boat <laughs> I got like good game walking down the hall like, and I was like what did you just touch my butt like and I tried to fight a guy and then like I've been humped and like all kinds of stuff um and it's the the point being that it's the Navy has changed so drastically yeah. that for that kind of stuff to happen now, like people would go to jail. Oh, one hundred percent. So it's yeah. just like it's a totally different world, man. And it's it's that kind of stuff that you see that you like. I still see guys that are trying to pretend that they're in that Navy, and it's just like, what are you doing? You got like you got to be able to change. And that's it's one not of the, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It, I, but a lot of it, I think, is universal. Like that's the like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing. Like that has never changed. Like I had the same needs that these other junior sailors had how they're met. It changes for sure. Yeah. Right. But I think that like 
there's a lot of it that's universal. And if we, I feel like if we had it in, again, like if we had an invest into leadership development education, like you would have the tools, which you sound, you obviously do, but like chiefs that are out there doing it would have the tools to change. They would yep. not have the understanding that they need to change. They would have the, the understanding of like why that's important and how it needs to happen and what it looks like when it comes and all, you know, but I don't feel like we have that, you know what I mean? And like, for what like so Bob's at the senior enlisted academy right now. It's like when I I remember when I went feeling like that it was like this should have happened ten years ago like and not in the same exact way but like I I almost felt robbed or something like I felt like why did I I'm at sixteen years so yeah, yeah like why am I just getting this now you know like I felt like we have this capacity. And you're keeping it in a building in Newport, Rhode Island and only letting senior chiefs and master chiefs use it. And like at the time I was a chief and I got in on a standby list, which is pretty common. Not anymore. I've tried to Not go. Yet. I've now, tried to go the last three years and they're like, uh, yeah, we don't have a spot for you. I'm Everybody's like, oh, so guys. afraid that it's going to become mandatory, which they keep saying it's mandatory. And then they waive it for promotion to senior chief and master chief. Yeah. Um, well, except or promotion the, of master chief, I think promotion Whatever. of master chief because I knew the yeah. nav admin, the new nav admin just came out today that all CDMSs and CDCMs have to go to the CD command master chief, command senior chief. Oh, okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, they were always required to go there because there's like a Cobb core, Cobb CMC course. So like those guys always had to go to that. I don't know mm-hmm. if they always had to go to the actual like because there's oh, just yeah. the normal. Because I didn't understand this before I went where there there's like just the normal however many week course. I think it was when I did it, I want to say it was like six or nine weeks of Blackboard and then three weeks in residence. But like so that was just the Senior Enlisted Academy yeah. where I got like a little diploma and an NEC that I went to the Senior Enlisted Academy. But then there's another like I think three or four week Cobb CMC course that is an add on if you're going to be that. Oh. So it's a t- there's two different courses. And so I think they were always required to go to the, the Cobb CMC course, which is only like three or four weeks. So now they're probably requiring them to, to yeah. go to, which is like that course, man, that like nine, the, the time on Blackboard and then the three weeks of residence. Like I remember being like, why is this not mandatory for like every level, like every promotion, every everything? Because I think they could leverage like the online stuff, especially like the Blackboard type stuff. Because like, I forget who I was talking to about it, but I was basically arguing the point of like that you could use a lot of alternative delivery methods to accomplish a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Like I like the I, the brick and mortar concept. I like that Enlick is trying to put people in classrooms still because I think that you're going to get the most value out of that. But you can still do kind of the hybrid model like the SEA has been doing for a long time where they do the Blackboard portion of it. And I think that during the Blackboard portion of it, they could have leveraged more resources they also could set it up in a way where like, yeah, okay, maybe I don't pull you from your command, but maybe I say like, while you're in this course, you're going to leave work at 1300 every day. So you can do your two or three hours of, of command or of your leadership course on Blackboard. Um, And then like whether or not you decide to do that or decide to do other crap and then you do your course at night, like who cares? But you're giving them that time and bandwidth to do it. And then you leverage things like podcasts and YouTube and like all the other like media that people like us consume anyway Mm -hmm. because we're interested in it. You just like leverage those platforms to to do something. But 
you know, something of quality that people are going to actually want to listen to because you, you go listen to like the CNO has a podcast. Not a lot of many people know that. I did like, not know that. It's atrocious. Like, <laughs> and like, I'm sure the CNO is a smart, interesting dude, but it's, they package it. Like yeah. it's a bunch of MCs probably, or like contractors or something. He's probably got a script. Yeah. Where they're, they're packaging it. He's only allowed to say certain things. It's like, it's just, it's not interesting. It's like, mm. I don't want to watch David's videos because they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to watch AFN because it's terrible. And a lot of people are attracted to this podcast because they get to ask me questions or I'll talk about things that if they met a master chief on a ship is they're not going to talk about this stuff. Yeah. They're not going to answer these questions in that way. And it's like, I had a, I might as well just say it now. Um, I had a fleet master chief talk to me and not Paul. He's retired. Um, I had an active duty fleet master chief reach out. Um, and I won't say which one or whatever. Um, and he's not a, one anymore this was a while ago um and he wanted to come on and i like i listened to some of his other stuff and i'm like i it's like i don't not want to talk to you but i, I want to talk to you about things that i don't think you're gonna talk about yeah like i don't think and it's not like i i understand the they just have constraints that they're, they yeah. can't talk about i understand things. the limitations of that office like i understand that like he can't say the things that i can say yeah um I think he should. <laughs> I think there'd be a lot of value to it. But like Paul makes the point, like he wrote this article about the nuke cheating scandal when it happened. It was one of them. I think there's been more than one, but, and he got a lot of flack for it when he wrote this article. Cause he was a fleet master chief at the time. And mm -hmm. he wrote a, an article about how it was the fault of the system that these nukes felt like in order to keep up, and pass all these like exams and all meet all these requirements and still do their job and still get sleep that they had to cheat. Like it was the only way they could get the grades they needed. They couldn't yeah. do it honestly because there wasn't enough time in the day. That's interesting. And he was like, we put them in this position of having to compromise their integrity to get the job done essentially. And it was not a popular, like <laughs> it was not a, a popular opinion, even though it's probably accurate. Yeah. And so, but he's, we talked about it and I, I talked to Paul about it and I was like, I just don't think I'm going to get what I, cause I, and I told the, the person that reached out to me, uh, I told them like V like we, I was communicating with them in lieu of, um, and I was just like, look, I, I don't not want to talk to them. I just don't, I, I need them to understand the types of questions I'm going to ask. Yeah. This isn't going to be an all hands call. And I'm not going to like try to make him look stupid or anything, but I'm going to like challenge him on certain things and try to get the answers to questions that sailors at an all hands call are afraid to ask. Yeah. And I'll be fair and like, and I can edit stuff out and stuff, but it was like, yeah. And then I didn't really, it just kind of fell apart. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, and that's fine. Like I, I am happy to do it. I'm happy to talk to anybody. I just don't think I'll get the answers that, people are going to want to hear you know what i mean i'm going to get like some diplomatic yeah. like like dance around the actual and then i'm going to challenge them i'm going to be like well that's not what i'm asking you I'm, yeah. I'm, i want to know that like and they're not going to it's going to be like one of those like i probably wouldn't even publish it i just like there's no there's nothing here there's no content to it yeah and, it, and it's no substance and so it's like i don't know that that level of people doing it is the right answer but then you would get down so like, like okay and like hey do a podcast because we want a leadership development thing so then the end like people 
would probably get after it and then get told that they're getting after it a little too hard. Yeah, and, then, could, yeah. and then they'd be like, well, then what's the point? You know, yeah. So it's, so then like, what do we do? I guess you, what I would do is like, just start endorsing content. Just like, so Jocko podcast, get on it right now. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I'm a big fan of a lot of, of stuff, but like that one and his books, incredible. I think Simon Sinek is, is good a lot of the time. Um, with the understanding that dude's trying to sell books, but he's got a lot of good content that I, yeah, I'm, he's not my favorite, but like, it's good. Like, yeah. and so stuff like that, like, I think you could almost like the CNO's reading list, but not like just get some content and podcasts. Like they're already doing the work for you. Just yeah, you, all you have to do, all you have to yeah. do is just point them in that direction. And, and people they, they will were, flock to it. they were, uh, I saw something on like my Navy HR where they were trying to do something with Jocko where he was like making, some videos or something, or I don't know, doing some leadership stuff with the Navy. And then I never saw anything else about it. I haven't gone looking for it, so I probably should, but, um, I saw like an announcement, like, Hey, we're going to do this thing with John. And I'm like, yes. Like, but then, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, what are you going to do? And then I'm like, well, why don't you just tell everybody to listen to this podcast? Yeah. Like, why don't we just send out a nav admin saying like new leadership development tools endorsed by the Navy? Go, you know, yeah. make I it mean, a, sponsor, make it, make it a Jesus. course. Our logo, <laughs> the logo is on like NASCAR cars and stuff. Like yeah. just endorse his thing. Just sponsor him. Yeah. Just pay him money to like do things that he's already doing and just be like, Hey, we want to use your content as part of our NLIC leadership development stuff. Like that'd be super cool. Um, but I just feel like there's a lot of ways that we could do it where the institution is putting its back into it. And, and I don't even think that much work would need to happen. It like, really, it, you, you really <laughs> wouldn't have to put any work into it because there's so many great leaders that are already out there that yeah. already have books, that there's already have podcasts, that so already have content. DVDs, movies, YouTube, whatever it is that they're out there. Yeah. Like, you just have to get people and to I, want to do it. I'm not like applying for the job or anything but i'm just saying <laughs> like i kind of do the stuff already and it's like i wouldn't even want it to be my pot like because somebody asked me like if the navy reached out to you and said hey we want to make you like the navy's like leadership development i would podcast. start a brand new podcast i would start a brand new podcast probably or i would respond with something to the effect of how about you employ me as the guy in charge of leadership development and i'll go about like because i think there's value to to a podcast of some kind i don't maybe i could do it maybe i couldn't i don't know but like i think there are people out there doing podcasts besides me like there's a i'm gonna sh I, and i don't i don't listen to these actively but there's a couple of first classes doing this thing called the lpo's perspective hmm. there's uh th i, I, I might have listened to one of their episodes once i can't remember there's a guy uh, with a podcast called Permission to Speak Freely. Oh, yeah, no, I've reached out. So, there, uh, so that's he reached guys. out to me. He, yeah. yeah. We're supposed to get together and do a podcast together because okay. they were talking about the Bonhammer Shard. Okay. And that was Dope. one of the things like yeah. we were going to talk about. I still need to listen to them. Um, I haven't good. gotten to them yet. There's uh, there's a bunch, dude. There, oh, and yeah. I, don't, I can't and vouch for any of them. No. And then there's another one. Um, I What's had a, the other one? There's another one I'm thinking well, of. Well, there's a civilian company called... Um, o2x performance and they have a podcast is. and there's a an interview that i did with my buddy ramon resop okay. and he oh, was mentors a, for military that's a huge one yeah that's like a bunch i think those are primarily the army guys but it's it's relatable yeah and then cutlass podcast is paul kingsbury's podcast um 
I'm trying to. to so Jeff Bayless is a retired BMC that was an LDO. His story's insane. His evolution podcast. Um, and yeah, like retired seals and stuff like Andy oh, Stumpf. Yeah. Dude, he takes out one called Cleared Hot. Um, yeah, there's so many that are out there. But I feel like there's there's more active duty guys, and I feel like I'm missing one. There's you guys. There's they had to go out the Coast Guard dudes. There's test depth. Uh, yeah. Oh, have you ever heard of sea stories in science fiction? I've my, I've heard about it, but I haven't listened, listened to it. I'll it's have to. so good. He reached out to me once. I'm gonna have him on at some point. He doesn't know it yet, but it's gonna happen. That's but his funny. his podcast is awesome because he like reads these old like his stories but then he like does voices and stuff like that's funny. it's good that's it's, funny it's really good yeah, that was an episode that we did um, on idiot yeah, friends dude. was um what they call creepy pasta yeah and we just found creepy stories on the internet and told them to each other and then dissected them nice yeah yeah i feel like um to go ashore is a cool one but i don't know how much she yeah she hasn't updated it in a long time mm. she only did like four episodes i think or more than that like six she's awesome though um i feel like there was another one. Oh, the blue jacketeer has a podcast they're like that advancement app thing oh okay um yeah there's so many know. there's so there's i think there's like two million podcasts yeah i don't know how often they update theirs either but um anyway there's a whole bunch and there's like a lot of active duty people that do stuff um to the to the point that I feel like it wouldn't be that hard to find somebody to do it or somebody that's already doing it that you could kind of bring into the fold to do that kind of stuff and yeah. like and again like I'm about to retire I'm not saying I wouldn't do it I would I would definitely start a whole new podcast but the problem there is like I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing and I don't I kind of I did. I approached it like this Joe Rogan mentality of like, I'm going to do whatever I want, whatever I think's valuable or whatever's fun or whatever I wish I had had coming up. Or like if people suggest things to me and I think it's cool, I'm going to do that. But I'm also going to say whatever I want. Yeah. And I don't care how anybody feels about it. And I feel like that probably wouldn't go over well. Uh, So, like, I don't know. To an extent, I mean, who knows yeah but i also think that's what's wrong with like a lot of the cultural approach to like leadership development stuff even just communication where it's like they feel like they can't tell us the truth and it's like nah that's stupid and that's why i like this resonates with people is like i'm not gonna just give them some stupid diplomatic answer or tell them i can't tell them or whatever like where even during the chief season stuff where like there's a lot of chiefs that like would balk at you opening your vessel and showing like an E five your charge book, like they, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> like you can't you can't show them the holy grail and it's like, dude, I've showed a bunch of people. Like it's not a secret. Yeah. It's not. It's open source material on the internet. Yeah. You can just go look. Like you can read a tradition of change and like it'll tell you all kinds of crazy stuff about charge books. <laughs> and it's just like, like how do you think the selects find all the information? Yeah, it's from the internet. Well, not only that, but like it's there's all the stuff in their instructions and whatever. But it, well, I, yeah, I'm but saying like the 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 actual content of it, like the whole history of it, is documented by Navy History and Heritage Command. Oh which yeah, that I thought was an example of the most honest communication of. Uh, information that like high level naval, naval leadership has probably ever done because like Mike Stevens commissioned that when he was Mick Pond had a now retired master chief named James Lucci 
do this like deep dive study and release that document. And there is some stuff in there that's really <laughs> controversial. Like it's some, some of our history we probably wish we could forget. Yeah. And, uh, like there's an excerpt where, uh, I think it was Hagen. There was a, a Mick pond who threw his charge book away cause people had ejaculated on it and Good like night. peed on it and stuff. So he just threw it away because he was like, I don't want this. No. Like it's not, hasn't always been this like keepsake thing. Like the, the, the sentimental the value of it. Fictional. Definitely. Like, and I've, re- I've said this in front of a group of selectees and it made me so angry when I read a tradition change was I like read or regurgitated a synopsis of the fictional history of the charge book from mm-hmm. the goat locker. And then that document came out and I was like, I've been lied to. Like, I, was, I was so mad because I've stood up in front of a group of people and said that like it was true. And yeah. then it turns out that's not even a little true. It's like what we've evolved into over time. Yeah. But when I read that, I was just like, wow. And I remember being really shocked that they even released that as like a sanctioned Navy approved document that they wanted all the chiefs like to read. I'm like, that's how we should be doing this. Yeah. That type of honest communication, like, if, if we're mature enough to process that information, then why can't we just be told everything all the time? And why isn't transparency a bigger deal? And like when a chief gets in trouble, the command should be extremely transparent about it because that's how you're going to retain the trust and faith of the entire command. Yeah. Like it's just that. And it's like there there's a time for it, right? Where it's like, I'm not going to tell you everything, especially while like the process is still ongoing. But like when once it's adjudicated, like if a chief goes to mast, once it's over, that should be talked about like yeah. openly. The CO should have to stand in front of the group. That's depending on the circumstances, that chief should have to stand in front of the command and like atone for what they did. Um, because like you lose so much faith and trust of the entire junior population when you don't do that. And they're like, oh, they just swept it under the rug. And yeah. it's like, or like, especially when they deal with it by like giving somebody like a non-punitive letter of reprimand or something and nothing else. And yeah. it's just like, that's not even really accountability. Like, not really. Again, again, it depends on the circumstances. Like, I, I could understand a, a time and place for like a non-punitive letter of reprimand, but... <laughs> You get, a, you, get, you get LOR and then you transfer and yeah and it's, it's gone. effectively gone and yeah. effectively nothing happened and yeah. the person receiving it and signing it knows that so yeah. they're just like oh okay so I just gotta be on my best behavior until I transfer <laughs> so it's just some like, people take that really serious though like we had uh, yeah we had one chief that we were under underway or we were doing something and accidentally turned off the power to the CO's computer and tagged out some other stuff that yeah. he wasn't supposed to and he got an LOR and he was like so yeah. upset about it. I mean, I think they should, you should be, but I think it should, that should be like a, like that guy had probably had an oops and it's like, oh, that's yeah. what that's for is it's like a shot over your bio. Like, yeah. okay, that was your one. Yeah. Here's your letter saying, this is what you did yeah. that was wrong. And we have higher expectations to you and yeah. don't do it again and whatever. What, here's what's going to happen if you do do something like that again. Um, it's not for somebody that's like sleeping with an E3 oh, when yeah, they're no. married. You yeah, know what no. I mean? Like that's like a, they need to go to like, Admiral's I mass. mean, yeah, <laughs> they need to. Go. Well, and I also, I was talking to the EM and two about like, they need to go to Admiral's mass. And I think that Admiral should have the ability to snatch their anchors. Like, I think that should be something that's, I don't think it should be a COs NJP thing because if you do something 
So, cause like, I understand the concept of the, as communicated to me, maybe I'm wrong about this. And if there's any like legal people out there that know more about this than I do, please reach out and tell me I'm stupid. <laughs> um, but the way it's always been explained to me by like my CMCs and stuff when I asked was the reason why it's so hard to demote a chief is because they want chiefs to be able to be open and honest and challenge mm. the chain of command and all that crap without fearing like the, a loss of rank, which you're still in a position where you know, like if you stand up to a CO or a CMC where your evals could take a hit and then you're yeah. not going to get promoted again, but you're not going to lose rank yeah. generally. Um, so it had, you have to do something really severe to lose rank as a chief, which, but you can get DFC in a heartbeat though. Yeah. But all, again, all that does is stop your promotion. It doesn't yeah. like you still stay a chief. So, like if you're getting DFC'd, you should be going going to Admiral's Mass, and they should be looking at whether or not they should remove your anchors. In my opinion, like if you do something so horrible yeah. that you get DFC, like that's the level of like adjudication there should be. And I'm not saying that everybody, every single circumstances where somebody gets DFC'd, they should lose their anchors, but I think it should be a discussion. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think that it should be it should be less difficult. In that, like, if a chief gets a DUI, snatch their anchors. I don't, like, there's almost no case, unless you're, like, I had a buddy that, like, got a DUI because he was at the bar and uh, he, like, was fleeing the scene of an assault. So, like, he got in a car and drove because if he didn't, he was going to get the crap kicked out of him. Mm. So, in that case, like, okay, like, you're probably... It's a different conversation. I don't know exactly how I would. Yeah, but I mean, how I would deal with that. Go back and go back and be like, why did you put yourself in that situation? Right. Like, why? What was your plan for your ride home? Like, and stuff like that. Because I had another guy that lost his anchors because he got a DUI as a frock chief. And he said something similar. Like, he was some guy threw a drink on him and he just wanted to get out of the situation. I'm like, okay, so leave and walk down the street until your Uber picks you up. Mm like he got in his car I'm like oh well why was your car there because you didn't have a plan yeah dude. like this happened because you didn't have a plan and you were gonna drive home after drinking oh for sure so like it's like you're okay like the circumstance is a little less bad but not really like yeah. I mean so I it was kind of like when I just told him I'm like dude like you didn't have a plan and so that's why you got a DUI like you sh- you could have called an Uber you could have called me yeah and like I was here local like yeah you could have done a bunch of shit that you didn't do and here we are but if a, if a chief gets a DUI for something like that like where they just didn't have a plan like you're a first class bro like that's just <laughs> or sis whatever like it that shouldn't it should be automatic yeah. like at four those types of cases where there's not any mitigating circumstances. But that's why I think that should like first flag level officer in your chain of command. Like that should, they should have that authority, I think. And maybe you put like processes in place where only certain things are going to get elevated to that point or whatever. Like you put some kind of flow chart in place where it like, it is harder to get elevated to that level. But if you do like that's, that's on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's an option they have for awarding punishment. I don't think you should have to go to a court martial. Yeah, like that's that's, that's a lot of process you got to go through for that. Well, and it's like you're only generally going to go to a court martial and get convicted to where you're going to lose anchors if you like. It's you're talking about like child molesters, yeah, somebody that killed somebody, yeah, or something crazy like that. Um, you're not talking about guys that got a DUI that just failed catastrophically as leaders, and it's just yeah. like. 
that should be on the table. If a first class can lose a Chevron, that is true. I mean, why isn't, a DUI why, yeah. or, or why isn't that the same? Like, or like uh, blazing off maintenance or something like integrity violations. I think a chief should lose his anchors for that. hundred percent. I don't even think that's a discussion. And I don't know how many people would really disagree with that, except for the ones that are blazing off maintenance. <laughs> I don't know. I could be wrong. And yeah. and there there may be something I'm missing, but I have a hard time wrapping my mind around what it would be that like you could you could suitably argue that like no, it has to be a court martial. Like there's a reason why the threshold is that high. I I don't know. I I've, I've never been involved in that side of the legal aspect of it. So I don't know all the ins and outs of the Jag man. Yeah, and I only know like what I've asked I've had, and I don't know that they knew like really like the CMCs <laughs> that I talked to and stuff like I just asked people like why it was that way and that's what I got told so it's I should probably it certainly warrants more research on my part but um, but I also like can't I can't come I f- fancy myself reasonably intelligent and I can't come up with a reason why a chief can't lose their anchors at like I think Admiral's Mast is appropriate I don't think it like Commodore uh, maybe but like probably in it i think that's a flag yeah. officer level thing like if they if they think it's important enough to put a flag officer as a president of the chief selection board i think it's important enough to get elevated to a flag officer to i would, I would agree to with take that. it back yeah. yeah but and and it's like i think most areas it's like there's a reasonable like you could just do i don't think it would even need to be because like if you're in a place where uh, there's not a flag officer in your chain of command that's local. There's probably a flag officer local that could just do it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, probably. But I mean, then you go back to the same thing too. Like I was having a conversation with a retired uh, cop today mm-hmm. talking about how uh, insert submarine group, whatever yeah. here uh, that they had their admiral say that they wanted somebody to get held accountable. And so if you get held accountable and you go to mass, you can uh, not uh, not adjudicate, but you can basically uh, rebuttal against whatever. Yeah. Appeal it. That's the you word. Appeal, yeah, 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 you can appeal it. But in that aspect, if the admiral told you to hold this person accountable and you hold them accountable as a CMC and then they appeal it and it goes to the admiral, uh-huh. then he put himself in a rock and a hard place and he walks free because you're the one that like you're essentially screwing the person over. Why would they automatically walk free if it got appealed, though? Because the admiral is the one that told the CMC to hold that person accountable. So, therefore, it's this the admiral. You can't be fair with your adjudication of punishment because you were the one that instructed yeah, the CMC. Why wouldn't they just punt it to someone else? Like, I don't. I, that's, look, I'm just retelling yeah, the story. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just retelling I'm just, the like, story. I'm just, like, confused about why, <laughs> like, why it would happen that way. But, like, I get you. Yeah, I get it. Like, um... I think I think it like because you can definitely you can always appeal you can appeal anything it's yeah. just like if you do a good enough job of of like the I've done a ton of preliminary inquiries and it's like you if you do a good enough job of getting statements and documentary evidence and all that stuff it's like most of the time the guy just admits it and yeah. then they go to mast and it's like you've it, the, the burden of proof at mast is like not high so it's like the captain could just decide he thinks you're guilty or she or whatever um but like i at at an admiral's mass i don't i I would imagine the rules are similar but i just feel like and i mean you could just make a whole new process where like it's like something between a court-martial and a 
an NJP where it's like they are given a flag officer is given different authority because I feel like you could almost like just convene like an admiral's like I don't it's know a like a tribunal yeah. or something yeah. where because like if, when I was uh, at that army base we had we didn't have obviously I mean there was no navy like I would have had to go to Norfolk and grab a flag officer mm-hmm. except we had this uh, some kind of weird supply command um, and there was a one star and she was like a I think she was like a reserve admiral or like something I'm pretty sure she was a reservist but she was the commander of that thing yeah. and so one, we had her over for like a chief's training um, and a couple other events like we invited her over for like our navy birthday thing and stuff when we found out she was there like we didn't know she was there initially but when we found out we started inviting her to stuff and then um Oh, I found out because I, I found out she was there because she came and ran the PRT with us because they didn't have a CFL over there. Mm-hmm. So she, she came over and did the PRT with us and our CFL did everything, put it into prims. And so when I found out she was there, I was like, oh, we have a flag officer. Like, I'm going to start like inviting her to things because our CO was in Rhode Island. Like, yeah. So it wasn't we didn't. All we had was a chief warrant officer that <laughs> I'll tell you more about that later. But that was not what I wanted to be doing. So I started bringing her over and uh so that would that's like what I could do is like okay so if I have this chief that got a DUI I just do the paperwork get it approved through my chain of command in Newport that yes we're going to have this admiral's tribunal or whatever mm-hmm. and then she's the one that gets tapped for it cuz she's yeah. local and then she comes down and and does it um and I think that that would be completely fair because then like in the case of what you were describing it's like she's completely impartial cuz she's not in my chain of command yeah so if I like say I was the one going up, it's like she's going to just look at the evidence and do the thing and ask the questions and then decide whether or not it is yeah. what it is. So I feel like that would be a fair way of doing it. But I, don't know, I feel like we got pretty into the weeds on that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> ah, So what's going tell me more about uh, I, I just want to like what are you guys doing with two dummies and. Oh, right friends. now. Uh, so my co-host for Two Dummies is in Japan. He gets, or yeah. he should be back in a couple of hours. Oh, nice. Back in the states. Uh, so that one, I've just been doing more interview style. Okay. So I just find random people on Instagram that I want to talk to, <laughs> and hit them up. And if they yeah. want to talk, then I'll set up a time. Like I had this, I got really into uh, Yellowstone. Yeah, it's a great show. My wife's cracked out on it. She's so mad because we have to, we would basically have to pay for cable or like one of those live subscriptions to be able to see the new episodes. Yeah. It's annoying. And so I found a cowboy down in Texas and I talked to him. Nice. And then uh, there's this band from um, Sweden or Finland or somewhere over there in the Netherlands. And they're called Louisiana Avenue. And they had a big Saint song, and I'm from Louisiana, so I hit yeah. them up, and I talked to the band okay. and interviewed them and did all that stuff and tried to get them into the Superdome so that they could play for the Saints because that was like their one big dream. Nice. But that kind of fell through because uh, I don't know anybody in the yeah, Saints organization. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was, I might, we'll talk after. No. I don't know if I know people that would be able to swing that, but I have a connection to Louisiana in a way. Oh yeah, my dad knows everybody, and I had music really? promoters and everybody. Oh, okay. like yeah, so you I, I, I knew I knew a lot of people. <laughs> you probably had a way better chance than I ever would. Then yeah, uh, and then so I've just been doing interview style. We talked to I talked to him a couple of times. We were talking about his time in Japan and how much he loved it, and just the culture and everything. Yeah. It's just kind of us catching up, but yeah. that's more. We're, we're trying to get onto a timeline of like doing 
Navy history, yeah, conspiracy yeah. things that are going on, and just our our aspect of it. And then the Idiot Friends podcast is another one that I do with a buddy of mine, yeah. and that one is me just finding random things that I find interesting, okay, and doing research on it because I want to have that knowledge yeah. of what's going on. Like, when do you think that we're going to be living in a virtual reality or how yeah, soon? I do think you- we might actually be in simulation <laughs> already. Uh, my, I talk to my nephew about that all the time. But yeah, that's more conspiracy, like creepy things, yeah. just random topics that we find interesting, and it's one of the ways, like that I can talk to my best friend and I have to talk to him every week. Yeah. Like we have to sit down and, and yeah. sit down and chat. Yeah. And it's just one way that we keep up and it's just, it's fun. That's cool, man. Yeah. But what, they, uh, they're no way in shape or form. I mean, you might learn something, but <laughs> <it's> <laughs> entertainment only. Yeah. It might be just more for your pleasure than actual getting anything yeah. out of it. And it's you guys, fun for me, you, I think you kind of, you kind of, uh, hinted towards it but do you guys do like youtube and all that stuff too uh we did okay but then my life got hectic so (laughs) in video editing takes a long time for me because of the computer that i have Uh, um so i just i've stopped but we have a couple episodes on youtube i have i know how to do it all but once i get more time yeah yeah. and be able to get my computer faster because it was taking me like six hours to process a video i'm like i don't i can't sit in front of a computer for six hours dude that's how i used to edit podcasts like i was Jeff Bayless is the one that kind of convinced me to not do this, but I used to go through, like I would record. So like we're at two hours right now, I would record an episode and it'd be like two hours long. I would re-listen to the whole episode and stop it and edit out like us and ums and weird stuff. And then the curse words and whatever, and like make it as perfect as I could and then run it through filters and all this stuff to make the audio sound a little better. And then I have to add the intro outro, which I have to record um, and then put the music on each end and then, yeah. so, I mean, you're talking about like, so two hours to record it, another two mm-hmm. hours to re-listen to it. Plus the pauses is really like two and a half hours yeah. plus the filters and the intro outro. And it's like, it's like that two, it's, four, it's like consuming. six, seven hours for one podcast. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like when they started getting that long, I'm like, nah, I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. So we're sitting with my shortest one. And I took like, I, one thing that I took from you is I like Lucas wasn't there. So I started doing what I call shorts. And it's just yeah. me talking to myself about whatever I want to yeah. talk about. Dude, those are some of the funnest ones. They are, but I've had, I have such a hard time really of talking to myself because yeah. I'm used to somebody having some type of banter yeah and then like i feel crazy because like i'll laugh at my own jokes and i'm like <laughs> i mean <laughs> that's fair i do i pretend i'm talking to someone um but yeah i've never i, I do better like this is why I, I try to get different people to do the um those foundations episodes like my one buddy that is hmc that listened to the podcast and he got picked up for ocs so he got busy, so he couldn't do it anymore. So now Paul Kingsbury is going to pick it up. He's going to. He said he's sending me the first one on Thursday. I hope he was going through applying for a new job and all this other stuff. Yeah. But, um. Yeah. He's so Paul Kingsbury is going to take over the foundations episodes, but he, those guys are more like, um, I don't know. They're just it's they're better suited for that style of that like academic research and delivery of almost like not like a lecture but kind of you know what I mean? No. where they're talking through like a, a concept like that they do a way better job than i would i'm like what the senior listed academy would call an extemporaneous speaker like i just <laughs> like talking off the top of my head yeah, and i think that's I, the same way i do better that way where i i have some points i want to make and i just a lot of the podcasts i've done are 
just bullet points and then I'm just talking. And like when I do research, I'll have more than bullet points where I'll have like quotes from the instruction or something, but it's like, I'm just talking. Yeah. Um, and I find I do a lot better that way than I do. And I've always kind of been that way where I, I'll, I feel like I communicate better that way. And so I like doing this, like the spinning irons and stuff just cause like, I don't know. It's kind of fun to just because, like, I talk. I talk. I like talking, right? Obviously, but sometimes <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, I know. Sometimes <laughs> on podcasts, like, I'll talk. People say like that. I I talk too much, or I'm I didn't let you talk enough, or or whatever. And it's like I feel like it's more of a discussion a lot of times, like instead of an interview. But like, also. I, like I'm doing a podcast because I have something to say too. Exactly, and that's one of the things too that that I've had to learn is when to interject yeah, and when yeah. to not be able to talk. And you know, you can revert that back to being a chief is yeah. how to talk and <laughs> when to talk and when to actually say something and when to listen. Yeah. Um, but that's that's one of the things is yes, you might talk a lot, but I mean at the same time, there's certain things that I need to get out and wait for those key notes or whenever right. you take a breath so that I can get in there and say something. And it's, and it's all just a learning thing and better yeah. developing yourself as a speaker because on my podcast, there's no holds bar. And <laughs> on, on this one, like I, I usually curse or have a lot of things that yeah. aren't necessarily PG. Yeah. And so there's learning how to speak to your audience. And that's one of the yep. biggest things that like a lot of people don't have or don't understand is yeah. to actually have a conversation and read a room and being able to do all that stuff is is a yeah. learning thing. I curse a lot in real life. Like <laughs> it's funny. My wife was saying something the other day about how um, I think her parents listened to it or something, and they were saying like how they noticed I never cursed, and it was like it's not ne- like not never. I've done it a few times that I'll edit out probably uh, this time. But w- when I do slip, like on Zencaster when we record using that, I can add a footnote. I just mm-hmm. go back and like bleep it out. It'd be like half my podcast. But yeah, but <laughs> I usually don't curse at all. Um, it's usually guests that I have to bleep out. Um, but sometimes I do, and sometimes I do it on purpose, and then I bleep it out because I want them to know that I said that. But um, I purposely don't do it because I don't know. Like when I first started it, I, I just I thought about like there's it's more pe- professional. You can yeah. use a different. And this was my, the the best advice that my dad gave me is like you can use a different word that makes you sound intelligent instead of sounding stupid. I mean, I agree, but I also feel like there's just a time and a place for an f bomb. There and, is. Well, I will agree with you because of what I'm trying to accomplish. I was like, this it'll appeal to a much wider audience. I think if I don't do that, and you can play it in the workplace. Yeah, and that's well, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. But yeah, I did. I. I and I also had this vision which came true thanks to the CT community and a bunch bunch of other people do it too but I've gotten a ton of CTs for whatever reason like a CTs have flocked to this podcast but um I've had a lot of CT chiefs tell me that they've used it for like Sailor 360 training and it's like if I'm dropping F bombs it's like yeah. they wouldn't even consider it and so it's like that's I was I've gotten a bunch of emails and messages saying that they do that and that sailors respond to it and they really enjoy it and that's like that was like the the holy grail to me that was like <laughs> I was so hyped when I got those messages that they were using it for exi- like it, that, cause that's exactly what it was for yeah exactly what it was intended for um, but it what I was trying to directly reach those junior sailors but when I had a chief telling me that they thought it was valuable and so they assigned it said listen to this then we're going to talk about it and then they talked about it and they all got a ton of value out of it i was just like yes <laughs> i am god no, not quite not quite but i was celebrating man it was i was super pumped that you know it's always fun getting feedback and especially yeah. um i had one so that worked for me 
and along the same lines, like he's like, oh, dude, like I, I wait every week for something to come out just so that I can laugh and just feel like I'm oh, back nice. in the Navy. Because <laughs> like, you know, if you're sitting, yeah. and if you're sitting in the control office or yeah. wherever y'all stand, watch at, there's banter that's going on yeah. and that's what people want to hear. And that's what I like try to explain to people in the Navy that listen mm-hmm. to the podcast. It's like being on the mid watch and yeah. just like <laughs> no topic is off topic. Yeah. And we can just talk about whatever we want. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. The midwatch is always the funnest because there's all the adults are asleep. So no. it's like, you could, and no. I mean, I kind of, there's still in, I don't know what it's like. I'm sure it's similar, but on a submarine, we in control, we have an open mic. So the CO can hear everything that's going on in control. So it's like, you kind of have to, he's asleep in the, on the midwatch generally, but, um, yeah, you kind of have to be careful what you talk about <laughs> yeah. sometimes or be quiet because the open mic will pick it up. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, on the midwatch, everybody's asleep usually in the, and then like the XO will be, they call it like CDO. He's like functioning as the CO when the CO's asleep. Yeah. Like when we're on mission and stuff. And yeah, he uh, generally just lets it go. Like oh, the yeah. XO doesn't care. Well, I mean, and the, the fact too is like, that's how you're going to stay awake and you're going to stay alert because yeah. I mean, if you're just sitting there and everybody's quiet, somebody's going to fall asleep. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the midwife. I think it's just all the adult supervisions asleep, but it's also just like, it's always more relaxed. You're not really doing much on the midwatch except for like housekeeping and just making sure the shape doesn't explode. <laughs> yeah. It's maintaining the plant until, you know, yep. until it's morning time. Drive, everybody wakes driving up. the submarine, punching holes in the ocean. Um, Try not to hit any uh, underwater yeah, mountains. That's... <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about that. Too soon? No, uh, so it's not. We'll talk about that when we stop recording, but it's like they hit an underwater mountain. Cause, yeah, anyway, we'll talk about it more later. Cause, hey, man, I work at TRF. I got all the ends. Of, you, you, called me, you called me a closet bubblehead. And, I've been briefed you know. on that specific <laughs> incident. But, yeah, it's I whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any save rounds or alibis, man? No, wrap guess. it up. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks for doing this. Man. Of course. Anytime. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I had a lot of fun. It was a good time. Uh, I hadn't recorded in a while. Um, so it was, it was fun to just get rolling and, uh, catch up with somebody. First live one I've ever done, which was different, but it was a good time. Uh, I enjoyed that as well. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about that to be honest, but, uh, that was a good time as well. Uh, and if you, if you want to support those guys uh, at Two Dummies and a Microphone Podcast, go check them out there. Uh, you can find them on social media as well, and all the links are going to be in the show notes and then the Idiot Friends Podcast as well. Um, but uh, for us, um, a lot of new things going on, so I've been active uh, on social media letting you all know that I'm spinning up the YouTube channel. Uh, so if you could go over there and subscribe and, you know, like, like comment all the things on the videos, give them a share right now. There are like audiogram videos. It's effectively just another method of listening and sharing, like listening to and sharing the podcast. Um, it gives a lot more flexibility with sharing it and getting it out there. So, um, if you, you all would do that, that would be incredible just to help get it to the people that need it. Eventually I will be doing actual video podcasts, uh, once I retire here in October. 
and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And there will be some more training style ones as well. I know the uh, so the one I did on Chiefs packages a long time ago, it's like four years ago at this point. It's still on the channel, um, but it was like a PowerPoint slide presentation style one. I'm going to try to do something a little cooler this time around with like recording my screen and actually going to the websites and showing people things as I go through some of those uh, when I get to those types of topics, like the uh, how to make chief one where I kind of did an update after I sat the board. But um, a lot of cool things to come with YouTube, putting a lot of work into that lately. So uh, if you could check that out, like, subscribe, do all the things, share the videos, tag people in them, whatever, comment, whatever you, whatever you can do, I'll, I'll take it. And then uh, if you could like, share, subscribe, and review us on all the platforms for all the things for podcasts and all other stuff, um, that helps as well. Just leverage these algorithms to get the podcast in front of the people that need it. And then uh, if you want to support us, there's a donate button on the website. It helps just pay the bills. It does not go in my pocket, I promise. <laughs> I'm way in the red for this project for the number of years I've been doing it. But uh, And then also the for-profit version, um, which, I mean, to be honest, also is just going to support the expansion of the platform into other areas, uh, is dgutsapparel.com. Uh, we got a lot of really cool pride and heritage gear that you'll actually wear in public. I designed it all myself. Uh, it's printed to order, so the shipping time will take a little bit longer than you used to, about no more than two weeks usually. Um, but it's a lot of really cool stuff. I've ordered every single one of those things myself and own them and wear them in public myself and uh, high quality stuff. And I'm really excited about it. And if you got any ideas for it, shoot me an email at dgutsapparel at gmail.com. <laughs> and I'm happy to do it. I think the next design is going to be for boats and spades, which I think I mentioned before. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's really it. Uh, really exciting things coming. A lot going on, and I'm pumped about it. Uh, and that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening, and don't give up the ship. Thank you.